Welcome to episode one of Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. P. Uh, ISO, ISO, Dr. P. ISO, Dr. P. I'm his assistant, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. jo- jo- Joanne from Earlwood <laughs> has written in today <laughs> to say, my puppy doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> well, Joanne. Buy a cat. Buy a cat. Today is Peter Northcote. Pete's done it all. He's played guitar for everyone. Dragon, Richard Clapton, Daryl Braithwaite, Glue, High Five, Jenny Morris, The Monkees, Simon Phillips, and many, many others. He's played on countless recordings, jingles, TV shows, sound libraries, making him one of the most recorded guitarists in Australian history. Throughout his career, Pete has continually created his own situations, be it bands, shows, and he's currently making the most of the COVID-19 isolation by creating the inspiring ISO duos, ISO trios, ISO quattros, ISO gigs, and now ISO talks. These creations are seeing thousands of views and interactions, one of them nearly 500,000 views. And it's getting his friends performing again, albeit in isolation. It certainly hasn't all come easy for Pete, but look, he's happy to be challenged. During different times in this conversation, we get a visitor by the name of Monkey Boy the Cat, so listen out for him. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Peter Northcote. All right, I think we're rolling. Peter Northcote, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome back, I mean. This, but this, this time, first first time as a as a solo guest. This is her, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but we did that, we did that guitarist roundtable, which was really good fun. It, it was, was really great. It was really good. You know, it's rare that a bunch of guitar players get together, you know. Yeah, there's, yeah. I can think of that occasion and, and occasionally we do the uh, – the lead, uh, the, um, Jimi Hendrix or the Clapton show, and that oh, that's cool. where ten guitar players get together. So that's about the only other time that that happens. Yeah, you know? yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That and it was um, yeah. it was cool putting it together and editing it, and yeah, um, yeah, heaps of fun. So yeah, and 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 since then, um, I think I even said to you, you know, it'd be cool to do a do a one on one, and and here we are. Yeah. So, well, know, look, you know, as I, as I said to you, I, I was a bit worried because, uh, you know, I've, there's a lot of interviews out there with me and yeah. I didn't want to kind of go over the same sort of stuff. So hopefully we can touch on some uh, other things on yeah. this one. You and know? What, I, what I will say about that then is um, in 2016, um, you did a interview with Matt Wakeling, Guitar Speak podcast. That's right. Now, um, that, if you go back and listen to that, whatever we miss here, that basically covers all the really early days and how you got into guitar and it was yeah. either guitar or tennis. That's right. That, that 
that kind of stuff and then yeah. starting into the session scene and then then you guys lost me when you started talking about gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So there's a, I'll put a link to that uh, that interview in the show notes so people can go yeah. back and listen, if anybody's, listen to that. If anybody's <laughs> that concerned about it, yeah, yeah, well, there, right. you, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. But, uh, okay, so look, um, <clears throat> COVID-19 um, – we're in the middle of it still. Um, so this first little bit, we'll just talk about maybe what you're leading up to prior, yeah, um, and what you've done during. Um, so we'll start with. Tell me what you're up to. Say the first. Oh, sorry. Yeah, say let's say the first two and a half months of this year. What what yeah. were you doing, and and what did you have lined up? Yeah. Before we got sort of... So, I, you know, I have a couple of regular residency gigs. I have a, a Thursday... Well, I had a residency down at the Rambling Rascal on Thursday nights that had been going for three years. Mm-hmm. We were in our third third or fourth, third year. And so um, that was just a great fun little gig for me. Um, and I also had the first Sunday of every month down at Beaches Hotel in um, Thoreau. Uh, apart from that, I put on shows. So I don't just you know, play with other people. I actually put on events and, and, and I had a whole bunch of shows, you know, at juniors at the brass monkey. I do a lot at the brass monkey. Uh, and I had a, you know, a whole bunch of gigs organized that just like everybody else, uh, was wiped out in the matter of two days. Right. But it was interesting because, um, I got a cold, uh, about a week before the shit hit the fan. And I thought, and, and as it was happening, and I copped this cold, I thought maybe I shouldn't do the Thursday night gig this week. And so I, it was the first time in, I don't know, I mean, even when I was doing um, the Bridge Hotel for 15 years, apparently, and I, I didn't know this, but apparently Richard, the, the owner, said to me, Peter, you, in 15 years, you've missed, uh, I can count on one hand how many Sundays you've missed. So, I mean, I love, the thing is, I love gigging. So I, I'll always say yes, and I'll always be there. But um, so I had a whole bunch of gigs, uh, of those things just wiped out and a whole bunch of gigs that people had, had organized for me. But as I said, I got this cold and I thought I better not go there. And I really thought that I, you know, I think we've all had the, the, t- at some time in, in these last couple of months, think that we've had the disease, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you get a sniffle, you go, well, what's that headache or, you know, so I think, well, that's what I went through. My brother's in healthcare. So he came over with the stethoscope and, and checked me out. He said, nah, mate, you're all right. He said, but I'm going to wash my hands anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I've been in lockdown, I guess, um, since early March. Oh, right. Okay. So early, early, early March. And, it, you know, I think lockdown suits me. Lockdown, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a homebody anyway. I like doing my own thing. I don't go out and socialize much. That's the, the thing I miss about gigging is that I love the social occasion when I gig, you know. You get um, a lot of people that come to my shows, are, um, they're friends, you know, and I've made a lot of friends by doing my shows and, and speaking to a lot of people. So I miss them. I miss that. But, and I miss gigging. But other than that, I mean, I'll, I, I'm a doer, Stevie. So I'll kind of, I'll try and figure out something to do. And I'll always keep myself busy. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever been bored. So I'll always find something. And if I don't have anything on, I'll create something, you know. And I, it's really interesting because I've been doing these, um, these duo, ISO duos and now I'm starting doing ISO gigs and yeah, I'm doing yeah. live gigs. But it's really interesting that um, 
my mindset from from doing so many sessions in my you know eighties nineties two thousands that my mind my mind has leapt back into that mindset yeah. again of yeah. doing sessions because I'm recording songs and doing them all day, like all day and then their first takes because I've got the camera on me so. You know, yeah, you can't, you can't drop in, then, eh? You, you just, can't drop in. So, yeah. you, so you do that, and, and and you get the 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 session mind of of being connected straight away. And I've been really enjoying doing that again. You know, that's great. from so because it's been a, a while since I've I've done like I used to do like three five sessions a day. Yeah, and so so not haven't been like that for a while. So it's it's good to be able to kind of get my brain back into that again. Yeah, you know, as far as playing is concerned, that's really cool. So you've got the you've got the um. The ISO duos. Yeah, they've been got, really. Yep, the ISO, been, the, the ISO trios. Uh, what was the, what's the one, the ISO, what was it? The ISO quattro. Quattro, yeah. <laughs> and then now you've started the ISO gigs. That's right. Right. I mean, so, it's, it's, it's not very creative names, but, you know. They've, but, they've, no, but, they've, the, but the thing about it is nobody else has. Has that, no, that's right. You know well, what I mean? People are, yeah, people are kind of using it, but yeah, but, but I'm numbering them too. You know, it's yeah, always yeah. got the, the hash sign and the number, and yeah. and um, it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. Something I never expected. You know, it's really interesting. My partner was saying to me, you know, you've been looking for something new to do, and some because I'm I'm if I don't have a project. I can't just sit around and wait for things to happen. I'm yeah, always going yeah. try try do something else because I, 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 you know, I may not be the best guitar player, but I love doing it, and so I want to keep doing it. And and I, I think part of the challenge for that is is also to get over my um, uh, what's the word, um, get over my fear of not being the best. You yep. know, is just to do things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so she said, you know, you, you've been asking, you know, to try and get something new for a while. You know, you've done your shows, your Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath show. You do the, the dance show, you do this, and you got this, but you've been thinking about something else. And here it is. It's been yep. really amazing. Yeah. As I said to you, as we were talking before, you know, like one video I did last night was 10,000 views over, overnight. Now, they're not real views, but it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a barometer that I can look at and go, well, this is what, what's working yeah you know some of them one of them's got um four hang uh, on i've got it here this is the iso trio's number one yeah and it was with bride and stace and virginia lily yeah and you guys sang um a meatloaf song oh yeah <laughs> and as of about half an hour ago it was yeah. four hundred twenty thousand views yeah, it's pretty wild it's, Mate, oh, it's great it's outstanding you know, well, it's it's interesting too because I'm I'm formatting them like I do. I just gone well. Look, I know these songs. I know how to do them. I know how to play them. I can just recreate them because they're the songs that people like to hear at my shows. Yeah, you know. So I'll just keep doing those those songs. I mean, I you know I, I venture out a little bit, like I did "Teardrop" with um, Gemma Wood, the Massive Attack song, mm. and that was a little bit left to center. But then I think I used to play that with with Natasha Stewart at the Bridge Hotel every Sunday. Yeah. So and we used to do it with the sitar. So I thought I'll just do that. So it's not like it's anything new for me. The only thing I'm trying to do is uh, like I'm not using programmed drums and I'm not using um, synths. Yeah. So I'm I'm the kick drum is the back of a guitar. Yep. And the snare I've figured out is. I mean, I was tapping it to the side of the guitar and then I realized that what I can do is put a, a cloth underneath the strings and hit it with a, with a stick uh, and it gets like a, a snare with the spring underneath it. Yeah, right. 
right? That's so it cool. gives me so, and then I then I kind of compress it up and do all that. But um, that's my kit and and tambourines is my my hats and tambourines, and then I do shakers. Apart from that, I don't do any other kits, and any synth sound is from my Axifex. So they do a kind of a you know a single note synth sort of thing. So, I, but I rarely use that. I'm just trying to do it within the confines of guitar, acoustic guitar, bass, and the things that I've got around me. Mm. So I'm going to stick with that concept. Oh, mate, I would too. And what you're also doing is you're you're um, you're making other musicians happy. You're getting them performing again. Yeah. Um, you know, all musicians like an audience. And yeah. they've got an audience now. Um, yeah. So you sort of, you you record them and you put them together and then you release them, right? Yeah. So that, you know, people can just basically watch comments come and yeah. the likes yeah. and that kind of stuff. And it, it it's it's positive, man. It's yeah. really, really good. It's been, it's been really beautiful. And the yeah. audience are just incredible, man. And, you know, people are donating. Donating, yeah. And it, what's really great is I've been able to, like, help out some people that have had no money. I mean, I'm fine, Stevie. I've... You know, I'm not going to be fine forever if we don't work. You yeah, know, but yeah. but I'm I'm fine, and I don't really need to make money. So it's been great that people are donating, and I'm able to look after people that have got nothing. Yeah, you know, even before the job seeker thing came out, there was people. I saw this girl with a photo of her fridge, and it had nothing in it. Yeah, and she was down. She was desperate. You know, so I'm I'm able to help those sort of people, and and. And it's the the people have just been so generous. It's just beautiful. Mm. And I think that, that you know, it's it, and I'm like the ISO duos gigs. I'm able to kind of share some of the money around with all yeah. the performers. Yeah, you know, it's awesome. and, and it's um it's a really good thing. I mean, it's expensive. It's costing me a bloody fortune doing lights and um and cameras and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. it's 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 the future. You it's know, like there's a couple of those. Um, you've done a couple of like live videos where you're walking. I'm just on my way to JB Hi-Fi to get some more lights. That's right. Spend some more money, you know. (laughs) That's it. But it's great. Oh yeah, I'm spending a fortune. I mean, but you know, it's it's really it's it's turning out like if I showed you the whole room, it's getting. You'll see it on Thursday night if you watch. Yeah. But um, it's it's turning out really good, and I'm I'm slowly learning learning about video and audio going together because that's a challenge. It's a real challenge. I mean, I understand audio. I've had a recording studio. Yeah. But. But getting video involved is another world, man. Yeah. It's completely another world. So <clears throat> it's been a challenge. And again, I like a challenge, yeah, you know. Course. So it's never a drama. I never go, oh, fuck, this is killer. I'm always like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Yeah. I do have to stop myself because I get to the end of the day and I've just done nothing but this. And I have to go, just chill. Go and lay on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I'll wake up in the morning, I'll get the, the, the you know, surface laptop and go, right, now what sort of camera can I buy today? You know? Yeah. So you, re- yeah, you really get your head into it because um, a few weeks ago, as we were sort of teeing this up, um, you said, give me a call after work. And I will answer because it's the only way I'm going to be able to stop what I'm doing. I've got my, got, my, got my head buried deep in this. So, you know, yeah. I, I, That's right. I don't get obsessive. <laughs> I, I re, I'm sure I don't get obsessive because, yeah. you know, I, it's, it's not who I am. But but I do, uh, I like to get into it and I like to get things working right, you know. Yeah. So so it's been a great. And it's, and, and the, the other thing that I wanted to say about the ISO things is that they're all recorded on a phone. Like every bit of video is recorded on the phone, and all the vocalists are singing into their camera phone. I know, yeah, yeah it's great. So, so it's been a challenge to kind of 
um, get their vocals sounding right. Because, you know, in any room, you can tell what it sounds like. Or, you know, even your room or my room, you can hear a reflection. Yep. And if they go too far away back from the microphone, I get all this room noise and I can't get rid of it. So I've got to EQ and do all those things. Yep. But they, they are what they are. That's that, what it is. That's and it. I'll tell you what else is really, really interesting is that, you know, I've had a recording studio and, you know, having great quality recording is one thing, but people don't care. Yeah. People don't care. Entertain me, mate. That's all I want. Make it fun. Make me like the song. I love that song. Yeah. I love, you know, I get so, so many people sending me, you should do this song. You yeah. should do this song. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, I, I could. It's a good song. And so it's, so it's, it's when it gets down to what the quality is one thing. And I've seen some amazing quality uh, videos go up at like 200 views. It's like it's not reaching people. Yeah. What, is it, what is it that's lacking? What is it that's, is it that's missing? And I think that what, what I'm doing here is much what I try and do with my live shows is keep it what the audience want. And that doesn't mean um, always playing brown-eyed girl or sweet child of mine. Yeah. Mind you, they're bloody great songs, yeah, so I don't mind it. playing them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's a good um, – it's, it's a barometer for me to kind of look at what the audience is, how they're re- um, receiving it and bringing back the information, and that's all good. So, you know, I'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. yeah, like I said, you're inspiring. And I think it's something um, that you will certainly be remembered for during this. <laughs> during, I'm not saying. <laughs> Pete. But on my tombstone. No, Get no. Get my <laughs> It's certainly something that will, I, I believe, um, yeah, be, be remembered as like a sort of a, a benchmark of the whole um, live not you know video recording stuff and social media during COVID. Oh, that's good, mate. That's lovely. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yep. thank you. Well, I, I, I'm not doing it for any other reason than I want to keep busy and I like to help people. Yeah, know? that's cool. Yeah. One other thing I, I noticed too, and 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 this is almost like a signature of yours too, is your your fonts and the colours of your. <laughs> it, it looks like those fonts and those colours were the same fonts and colours you were using years and years ago. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, but this is this is cool because yeah. you know I've seen I saw posters of yours years and years ago, and it's yeah. it's that same font. And then if you see as you're scrolling up on your phone, you just see the the first couple of letters in a certain colour in a in a font. You go, Pete Northcote's posters coming up. Well, you know, that's really font, good. To, you know, yeah, that's really good to know because yeah. that's exactly what I'm going for. Oh, good. I, I don't yeah. don't want to reinvent the wheel or anything. Nah, I know nah, that nah. people people know what my shows look like, and and they know it's me, and that's what I want to keep going. And you know, I'm I'm no graphic artist, and I'm no great uh, engineer, and I'm no great videographer or anything. But I I I think that when I stick to something, it kind of works for me, and I've just got to keep going with it. And, and I'm more inclined to worry about what the audience get, you know. Are they going to know it's me? That's yeah. all it is, yep. you know. So that's great. That's working. <laughs> yeah, it is. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, one show I was really looking forward to coming to see you play with was um, um, Barry Leaf when you guys did the Boz Gags Silk Degrees oh, yeah. album. Um, yeah. I had Barry here um, a couple of months ago. Doing Isn't pop- he a legend? Mate, the best. Um, yeah. yeah, and we were, we were talking about how you guys were starting to put that show together and, 
you know, yeah. it was um, something I was looking forward to. So I was a bit bummed about that. But anyway, we'll come around later in the year. Yeah, we'll we'll keep at it. I mean, we'll keep doing it. But I, I think it's a while before. It's, it's never going to, it's not going to work for a while. I don't think we're going to be doing gigs for a long time. Yeah, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, I've got gigs booked in September. Yep. But I, I just don't feel like it's going to happen. I mean, maybe it will, but I don't, th- there's no point in playing to 10 people. There's no point in playing the tent twenty people, yep. you know, um, and and I can't afford to pay a band what they're worth. I mean, if you know, I I guess if everybody's willing to do it and they know that that's not they're not going to make any money, then I'm I'm kind of happy to do it. It'd be nice fun to do it, but I really don't think we're 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 going to be working for the rest of the year, right? You know, I mean, I could be completely wrong. I don't know. Mm. I don't really don't know, but I got this vibe that we're going to go through a second wave. Yeah, just, that's that's what they're saying, eh? Just got this vibe that we're going to mm. do. I mean, I'm okay. I, you know, my partner works at um, a school, so she's, you know, she's right in the front line there. You know, I love these yeah. ca- catchphrases. We've got front line. We're all in this together. Yeah. You know, no, we're not. <laughs> but but we're not. No, we're not. Yes, <laughs> we're definitely not. Yeah. But um, you know, um, I think for me, I'm fine. I can just stay here and keep doing stuff. Yeah. Go out shopping if I need to, and. Yeah. And I'm all right. I, but going to a venue with lots of people, with lots of punters, I don't know how off, how most people would want to do that right now. Yep. You know? There's I mean, a, how do you feel about it? Um, I'm not sure. Um, see, personally, I, I haven't been playing much, um, I, you know, for myself. I mean, because I, I have a full-time job. So I've been, yeah. I've been working through this, through essential services and right. – um, as for playing, um, yeah, I was I was just doing fill-in gigs, you know, once, twice a month or something like that. So it's, it doesn't sort of bother me too much. And I'd much prefer if those gigs come back that they go to somebody else because I don't I don't need to do them. I, I'm, you know, I just do it because well, they, they're fun. But if someone can get paid for it, you know, cool, we'll give it to somebody else. But um, yeah. one thing, there's a uh, one of my favourite New Zealand bands were due here this weekend and they were playing at the – the factory theatre, and, and they postponed that. Um, obviously, when this kicked in, they made an announcement today that um, they're coming. They're hoping to come back to Australia, and they're releasing tickets. They've gone for bigger venues um, in all the states. They've gone from, you know, um, five hundred uh, seat venues up to three and a half thousand venues. Wow. Wow! So they've made a really, really bold move, and personally, yeah, I, I don't think yeah. it's going to happen. To be honest, yeah, I don't know. Not, not you know, not three and a half thousand people. Like, no, nah. yeah. Is that is that my oh, sound that, cut? That might be my phone doing that. Doing that. Oh, mobile, that's your phone. Okay, great. Doing the mobile thing. I've lost. Hang on. Uh, are you there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, I, you know, who knows? We're gonna, we're just gonna have to play it out and see what happens. And and I'm quite prepared to do that. You know, yeah. Uh, financially, it's it's a struggle for a lot of people, and uh, I um, I don't know what to say about that. It's it's. I mean, you know, I I'll tell you what it is. What is really good is prepping yourself and being prepared. I mean, I've got superannuation. I've I've always kind of financially been okay as a musician. I know yeah. a lot of guys work week to week or day to day, and that is something that most musicians should look at immediately. If yeah. I can give one bit of advice, yep. get your superannuation sorted out 
and learn how to keep a bank account, you know, like get out of this mindset of living day to day, week to week. You've got to, and that doesn't mean you've got to starve yourself either, but, and it doesn't mean you have to work yourself to death either. But, you know, I was lucky in, in the early eighties, I was, um, and my brother was a nurse and, uh, you know, as nurses do, they move on to other areas, whether it be flight attendants or super or, or AMP or whatever. And one of the, his mate, one of his friends started working for AMP. And she said to me, Peter, just put a hundred dollars away a month. I'll set up the account for you. And she did. <clears throat> and it was really interesting because I did it for a couple of decades. And, and then I ended up the, the, when they listed, I ended up with a thousand shares. Right. They just gave me a thousand shares because I'd been paying a hundred dollars. So that made me a lot of money, yeah. you know, like yeah. all these little things. If you, if you just commit to it, it's like house buying. Yeah. It's You've a- just got to be in the market. Yeah. Just get in. Once you're in the market, you're in it, mm. you know, and I think that financially with musicians, we, 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 we don't think like that. We, we, we live in the moment because when we play and perform, we are dealing with the moment. And so we're used to thinking in the moment and that's the best creative mindset. However, there's also got to be a business brain as well. Yep. And, and how do you develop that business brain? Well, first of all, you've got to think, what am I, how do I value myself? And you've got to take a realistic view at that. I mean, we're going off track track here. No, no, but no, that's no. A, it's, good, it's all good stuff. We've got to take a realistic view of where you are. I mean, I see a lot of people putting themselves down. You know, oh, I'm shit, mate. Oh, yeah. And I do it too. We self-deprecate all the time. Yeah. But I think there, there needs to be a, a, a place where you're going to go, no, you know what? And I can, I can say this to you honestly. I'm pretty good at what I do. Yeah. I'm not the best. And, I'm, I'm, and I still see miles of room for, for, for performance, for, for improvement, but I'm okay. Yeah. And I, I like doing what I do and I'll just keep doing it. And I've got, I've got if you want me, this is what I cost. Yeah. That's and a- if you can't afford that, let's work out a deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think that's come about from doing lots of sessions too, like working in the session industry. You, you, you're expected to have a fee and you're expected to, um, you know, work for a certain amount of time for a certain amount of things, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I got into that mindset early. Um, and, of course, when it comes to, to the other side of the industry, like live gigs, you just go, whatever you can afford, man, you know. If, yeah. And if I don't want to do it, it's, I, I won't do it. It's, it's, I want to do it. It's not about the money vice versa, you know? Yeah. So musicians, uh, you know, I, I suggest to them, get into your super. And when you've got your super together, manage it yourself. Right. That's, that's a really important thing. Once you, I mean, it costs money to set up. I've always had a bookkeeper and I've always had an accountant. So those things, I mean, they're expensive, but I'm purchasing a service where I don't want to touch paper. I don't yeah. want to know about taxation. It's, too, it's, it's way out of my brain's brain capacity, you know. Um, people do it a lot better than I do. So I, it's his, I'll pay you that. You just do that for me. And, you know, you get good advice. You, so, um, yeah, how do you get out of that week-to-week, day-to-day? You know, you have a day job, so you've got that sorted. You know, a lot of musicians don't. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's sad because I see some really, really talented people struggling. Yeah. You get to this situation right now and you're forced with it. It's in your face. Well, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's where it's, where it's interesting, you know. And I think that for me, I'm, I'm lucky that I've always just done stuff, you know. So I'm, yeah. I'm always in there. I'm always creating. I'm always thinking something else. I'm always good. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. If I want to do it, 
I'm going to do it. I don't care whether you ridicule me or not. You're not my audience. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not my audience, so I don't care. That's it. That's it. It's fine. It's fine, you know. And going back so, to this, um, you know, you're always trying things. You were in a situation too where um, you got involved in um, uh, sound libraries. Yes. And, you know, I don't know what you were thinking about it at the time, but, you know, you were saying when we were talking at the guitar um, roundtable table. The, the checks still come for that stuff, you know. Absolutely, it, it still gets it still gets played somewhere, you know. Like um, you know, some of the best some of the best business things I business decisions I've ever made was doing um those library albums, and they yeah. were great. And I had a really great um mentor that helped me out with that, and that was um, Stuart Livingston. Mm. You know Bennett Livingston, the drummer. Yeah, yeah. It's his dad. Oh, right. Okay, right. So Stuart managed, was the CEO of Zomba Music in, and, in Australia. Right. And he was the um, library production area. Mm-hmm. And he said, because he, he used to see me play, you know, he was a drummer too. He used to play with Don Burrows and George Goller. And oh, right, right. He said, have you ever written any music? I said, yeah, I do it all the time. He said, well, what if we put you in categories and we, we gave you parameters to write in? And I said, Sure. I love that stuff. That's what I do in session work. You know, they tell me, you know, you know give me parameters. I'm, I'll work within them perfectly. Yeah. He said, all right, well, we, we've got these, this style. We need rock guitar music for um, sports programs. Because in those days we had shows like uh, Sports Tonight and there were so many sports programs. And then um, we have lifestyle programs just starting. So we need like acoustic guitar, light music. And so I just focused on those two areas. And I, I must have done a dozen albums or something, right? And and played on all the other people's, uh, all the other writers from the company, their albums as well. So they, you know, still get played. I remember being in um, in America a couple of years back, and I heard one of my tracks that I haven't even heard for I don't know decades, right. and there it was in the car, right? And I thought this is great, you know, like it's being played all over the world. Every time it gets played, and my stuff, I used to hear my stuff on um, Oprah, yeah. Dr. Phil, yeah, all those things, and they they would bring me money because they're syndicated all around the world. Every time they're played in any place, I get a fee. Yeah, I can't remember if I mentioned the story at the guitar um, roundtable, but I, I have mentioned it before on the podcast. And if anyone that goes back and listens to um, the episode I did with Leon Gare, mm. this is what happened to him. He did some sound library stuff and. He was in doing one particular session, and I think they had they had all the um, the tracks that they were supposed to do, but there was still some room left over on the tape. So they said, "Oh, just go in and knock this other song over." So they just like, "Ah, oh, yeah, whatever." So they did. They went in and did the song. The rest of the album did nothing. This particular track got onto Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it. Yeah, and then the money came in. You know, it's amazing, isn't yeah, it? It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Look, you know, and when we started off this conversation, I said, I'm a doer. I, I just yeah, do. That's a, yeah, yeah. Once you just get that mindset of just doing and not thinking of an outcome, anything like that can happen. That's it. You know? And this comes back to a video you did the other day about um, your relationship with creativity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing, thinking like that. Like what? how is your relationship with creativity? How do you – I mean, mine's pretty good. Mm. I mean, I still struggle. You know, I still kind of go – I wish I was a better player and I wish I could get back into practicing and things, but I've never, it's not in me anymore. I mean, I love guitar, don't get me wrong, but I'm trying to find me now. I don't want to learn other people's stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. learning other people's stuff means that I've got to sit down and study and I'm not a studier. Yeah. I left school when I was 15. Yeah. I hated school. 
So it's never going to come back to me anymore. I'm never going to go through that again. But yeah, like what, what's your relationship with it? Are you, are you in love with it? Mm. Do you hate it? And still, I mean, I see a lot of guys and a lot of guys my age, and I'm turning 60 this year. I get a lot of guys my age contact me that have, you know, started playing the guitar, started doing gigs, and then they got, uh, what, what would you call it? They got angry with the industry. I hated this and I hated that and I hate the people in the bands. I hate the venues and the pokies got this and pokies and this and and then the you know fox you know they 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 find excuses for what the problems really are. Right. And the problems are is is really your relationship because I'm just one of those guys. I just kept doing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I just kept doing it. Yep. And and the problem is not the industry. The problem is not the lack of venues. We've got heaps of venues. Yeah. The problem is not the pokies because po- pokey players don't want to see music. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with it, you know. Yeah. And yeah. if I was a publican, I've said this before, if I was a publican, I'd have pokies to make money Yeah, because they make money. So, um, yeah, I mean, what's your relationship? Why are you doing it? And what's, what's the, 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 are you, are you, again, we talk about self-deprecation. Are you like putting yourself down and what purpose is that serving? Is that, so that you can uh, look better or that you receive um, uh, accolades even though you, 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 it's almost like you're begging for it, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, what, what sort of output are you, are you spreading with your creativity, you know. And, and, and I see a lot of people um, very shy I see other people that are over the top with their creativity and they're not very good, but they just keep going and they're making this. And it's like, that's okay. Yes. It's all good. You yeah. know, everybody's got an audience. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, I, tr- I try to, you know, I'm trying not to judge anything or anyone. I've always done that. Actually, that started with after my dad died in 86 you know, I, I went through a complete change of life in that that time. I don't know why we're going here, but we're going here. We're going there. <laughs> so, so I was working with probably, I mean, I was working with Richard Clapton at the time and I was making a lot of money. You know, I was doing sessions when we went on the road and we were on a retainer, I think, if, and it was a good retainer. And my dad copped cancer, a brain tumour. And it was interesting because we were in, I can't remember the, the town, it might have been Mudgee or something, but we had done a Sunday night gig in Mudgee and Jimmy Barnes had been in the town the month before and so he'd trashed a hotel room and they weren't letting any band stay in the, in the vicinity. So we <laughs> had to stay in a hotel 40 k's out of the town and uh, they didn't have telephones in the rooms. It was that old. They didn't have telephones in the room. We're talking about, but this was 86. But they still didn't have telephones in the rooms. No mobiles in those days. And I get a knock on the door at six o'clock in the morning saying, Peter, your brother's on the phone in the office. You better come down. And I, that's when I found out dad had collapsed at home with a brain tuner. It took him six months to, to pass. But it was, that six months was really interesting for me because he was, he was a really intelligent man and I was... And my brother is as well, <laughs> but mum and I were kind of like, we're feelers, you know, we, we, right. we, 
we deal with the other side. So Tony and Dad were like meticulous. If you look at my, if you look around my room, there's shit everywhere. You know? yep. So Mum and I were exactly the opposite. But um, so it was a really interesting time for me to to think, well, this guy, a tumor has ended up in the most important place in his body for him, his mind, his brain, and um, so that was for me to see him you know, go through six months of dying was really interesting. And it made me question, well, hang on, because I left home early mm. and I, because I wanted to get out of that environment. So there was all that I dealt with. Without being too psychosomatic, I was, I was you know, I, if, if an event happens to me, I go through it. I simulate it and move on. I yep. don't question it or yep. go back to it. Yep. But, but going through that, wow, what happens when somebody gets sick? Uh, do they come, do they come good uh and why how does that happen is that their choice or is it just nature taking its place what happens when people die what happens uh what's the purpose of them being on the planet is there such a thing as reincarnation do we come back why do we come back what's the meaning to everything And you know what i got to was all that matters is right now Mm -hmm. And so within that, it was also like, you know, I have my beliefs about I'm not religious and I'm not a hippie and all that. And I, but I've, I believe what I believe and it may change at any time. But I think that all that matters is where you are right now. Well, how are you reacting? Are we in this conversation 100% right now? Yeah. Or are we kind of, you know, worrying about, you know, uh, the future and how I'm going to die or, or, or Am I going to get, you know, whatever it is. So the so within that time, I learned a whole lot of things like universal principles about, you know, things like um, to not judge, to um, stay in the moment and to, and without sounding like a self-help book, those sort of things, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, um, and they've stayed with me all this time. And of course, Peter Northgate's malleable because he'll, he'll, think of one thing and then change and shift off into another world. But it's really interesting that music has always been there with me and it's always relatable to all the things that happen. Like, like events in your life make you a good musician. You know, I'm on this planet to be a musician. I, I have no doubt about that. I'm not, I, 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 I'm not very good at anything else. I'm basically unemployable. So I know that what I'm doing on this planet this time is, is right for me. But the events, big events, like when my mum passed, that was a major event, man. And we might talk about that later. But, yep. you know, mum was a paraplegic for seven years. Yeah. And um, it was the hardest time in my life. I can't imagine what it was like for her. But um, it, it changed me and made me grow and it made me question all my beliefs as it does. You know, like mortality, you, you, it, makes you, it makes you think about what you're doing. But you've got to keep bringing yourself back to this. See, I don't, people say you've, you've got to live in the moment. Well, I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible at all because we're, because of the nature of where we live and what we do in this, in this thick molasses type world, you know, of trying to get (laughs) things done. It's, um, it's not possible. I think, but what I do believe is that it's our duty to bring ourselves back to the moment because there's only pain in the past and there's only fear in the future. Yeah. So bring it back to this. Just keep bringing it back. Don't spend time there. Just stay here. Just come. Oh, I'm falling back. And, no, just get back. Just get back. 
you know, and by doing that, you're dealing with the moment, which is what we do within music. Yeah. And you'll become a better musician, I believe. Yeah. If you're worried about it and you start judging it again, getting back to your relationship with music, you get back to judging yourself all the time of I'm not that good, I'm, I'm, I'm great, or, or, or all those things, you're out of the moment of music and you're not, you're not creating. Does that make sense? Totally. You know what, and you know I, what I'm saying? I, I've got a new, um, I've got an idea for you. Mm. Peter Northcote's ISO self-help. Video, video conferences. <laughs> Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete, yeah, there's something there's something there. And, you know, you can do it over video so you've got your lights in the background. And... That's right. I love it. Yeah. I love it. No, that, uh, was, that was really cool, Pete. Spot yeah, on. no, I'm into I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, look, I, I, like, I like that stuff and I like to, to, um, to remain mindful and aware. Like yeah. it's interesting. This 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 um, time has been really good for me because I'm back into yoga. Cool. I'm not drinking. I've lost weight. I'm. I'm. I found uh, it. I found it, Pete. I, what fa- is it? I found that weight you lost. Did you? <laughs> How is it? I really miss it, mate. How is it? Oh, mate. <laughs> it's getting a bit harder to put the shoes on. To be honest. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like it's 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 been really good for me, and 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 the isolation thing has has made me get back into those things and i i i'm good when i do those things like i was saying to the boys the other night they came over and i said do you want you know any alcohol and they said yeah we'll go up and get a bottle of red. what are you drinking i went nothing on and we started talking about it like i go through periods of drinking you know and then i then i'll stop for a month i think last year i did five and a half months of no alcohol on and off you know but i'll do a month at a time yeah and i used to be like that when i was a kid i mean i've done lots of drugs mm. But I don't touch drugs. I haven't touched drugs for decades now. But, but the thing about, you know, that drinking and stuff is that it, I was thinking about it the other day that, you know, drinking, drugs, they last for a little while. Yeah. And then they run out. And, yeah. and the, the beauty about this, like being clean and not drinking and eating good foods, is it lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with it for a while. I mean, I'll probably probably hit a beer occasionally, but I don't, the problem is, is with me, if I drink one, I'm into it yeah, every that's, night. that's it. It's like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I love it. That's the problem. And it was only beer. It was only Corona, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'd only drink Corona because I didn't like anything. Oh, maybe a, an Asahi here and there. But, yeah, it's good being off it for a while anyway. It's probably a good time to drink Corona. It's a lot cheaper these days. Exactly. <laughs> I heard that they stopped making it in Mexico. Oh, really? oh, oh something right. like that. I something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read something about they got death threats or yeah. something like that. They're gonna <laughs> someone was gonna blow up the building or oh, the world's a fucking mess, mate, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I guess, I, you know, somebody said to me, um, uh, it's amazing how the world functions at all. I said, look at it. Doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. That's it. It's a mess. How you know? how often how much of your brain bandwidth do you take up thinking about that? Thinking about the world, though. I mean, you're talking about you know you yeah you always bring it back to where you are. For, yeah. for me, um, the the way I'm at the moment, I'm trying not to let too much of it in. Your best and, not to. And I've said it before on the podcast. I think the last couple of episodes, very early on in the whole Corona thing, it hit me pretty hard. Yeah. Sort of, you know. Yeah. Because I was taken in too much, you yeah. know. Yeah. But now I know what to take in, and yeah, that's right. You know, well, and it's I like you I, said. I, I just I, if I start seeing myself 
getting a little bit worried and scared, I bring it back, you know. Yeah. If I start yeah. thinking too far back, no, no, no. I bring, bring it, it back. Bring it, bring it back to now, you know. Yeah. yeah, and that's practice. That's yeah. just practice. You know, yeah. you just kind of uh, be aware of that, and when it happens, you just pull yourself back in. And there's, there's, that's all you need to do. Yeah, all you, it's not, it's not difficult. Just got to get into it. Um, yeah, look, um, the question was, uh, hello, your cat's there, monkey boy. <laughs> it's monkey boy. Yeah, look, uh, how's my bandwidth for my brain? I. Um, I was worried at first, you know, and as I say, well, I think we've all been through that worry and that mm. that's that fear of what, well, maybe if I've got it or what happens if I get it or what where should maybe I shouldn't go outside. And when it first happened, I was putting the doorstop, you know, under the door. June June Garufi, Tina Tina's mum made me this beautiful um, snake doorstop, you know, and I was putting that under because I thought maybe it's going to come know, under. Come under, oh, can shit. come anywhere. Geez, you, know, you, went, like, you went real deep into it. No, I mean, yeah, it wasn't that bad. But you know what I mean? It was, it was oh, like really? I had the flu. I had a cold. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And I was going like, well, there's shit everywhere. And I was washing my hands. And I was doing all that sort of stuff. And I just got, hang on, take a reality check. <laughs> and I stopped watching the news. Yeah. The only thing that I do watch is the 7.30 report on, on the ABC. Okay. I think it's the only balanced thing that I've, that I've seen. All the other stuff is just crazy so my brain i mean i'm aware of what's going on don't get me wrong i'm not not being um i'm not being an ostrich and putting my head in the sand I, i'm yeah. aware of what's going on but i'm not going to fill my mind with it that's no. it yeah and and you know the, you know i've always you know, i think that that being mindful and be, having meditation or yoga or something like that is really really important and i remember in the late 80s i started meditating and i meditated every day, sometimes twice a day. And I attribute that to much of my success as a session musician uh, and as a musician in general, because I'd be doing, oh, I'm just going to cancel that. Sorry, mate. Um, I would, I'd sometimes do sessions all day and then gigs at night and it would, I'd be wasted but I'd still wake up half an hour early to do a half an hour meditation religiously. That's just, just to get the mind sorted out for the day. Mm. So that was a, that was a really, really important. I did that for like, I don't know, 13 years every day and religiously nonstop. I don't do it so much now. Actually, I don't do it. I do yoga and, and in the, within the yoga, I actually um, do uh, a meditation. So it, that shuts the brain down. And I, I stopped meditating because I realized that when I was playing, I could fall into that meditative space. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Every time I'd play, I could go shoom, into that moment. And that's what my challenge was to try and get there. And just like meditation, like I do, do some meditation where I'd be thinking and thinking and trying to stop the thoughts and get, I'd get up after 20 minutes going, fuck, that was crazy. But it had cleared me. And just like gigs where I'm going, oh, I can't connect, I can't connect, oh, I'm, oh, I'm feeling like shit, I can't, you know, I'm not connected with, oh, the drum is speeding up, oh, what's it? Do you know, that's exactly the same. It's cleansing, you know. So so for musicians, we need to do that because we're in our heads a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we're in our heads a lot. Yeah. We, I think you've got to kind of find a place to shut it off for a while. And beer, what used to be used, it's good for a while, but it doesn't work all the time. You yeah, know? yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Very cool. All right, man. Yeah. Let's start talking about 
some of your career and let's, yeah. let's hear some stories and, and um, <laughs> talk about your timeline a bit. Um, right. Well, let's, should we start at the beginning? Let's do it. <laughs> I was born at the age of 13, had to live with these people called mum and dad and wasn't even their names. Um, but, uh, no, uh, look, I, you know, as, as on all the other interviews, it's, it's, it's known that I, um, started playing when I was nine years old. Apparently I was calling out for a guitar. We were playing tennis lessons, taking tennis lessons and mum bought us a $20 Riviera guitar each. And on the proviso that we took lessons for the guy, from the guy up the road, John Williams was his name. <laughs> And so um, we took six months worth of lessons from him, Tony, Tony, who's 17 months older than me and I. And um, he always said to mum that Tony was the mathematician, Peter was the musician. Mm. And when, after six months, they said, look, we can't afford to pay for both tennis and guitar. You choose one or the other. And that's how I started with guitar. Tony chose tennis and he's not a, um, he's not a world-class tennis player, but he's getting back into guitar as we speak, which is really, really cool. And I can help him out with stuff, but he's buying guitars and he's practicing and he's got rigs set up and he's pulling them apart. And so it's really cool. So at nine years old, I started playing. And um, after that six months worth of lessons, I just kept playing and mum could see that I was really, and my parents were amazing, mate. They were as, as troubled as they were, they were children that had children. They, um, they were a mess. You know, dad was, dad started drinking a lot and he was a, a, a real night monkey boy, please. That might have, you know, that sounded like, oh, dad was a real monkey boy, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get that separated. Yeah, yeah I'll, no, dad I'll was, separate that. <laughs> dad, dad was a mess. He yeah. really was. He was an amazing man. He was a CEO, he was a managing director of a, a gas company here in Australia. Started off as a boiler maker. You know, his old man went through both world wars, lied about his age to get into, into the, to the service. But dad was a single child and he was, uh, he was a real smart guy but all in his head. And he was, I reckon, I mean, my brother will say the opposite, but I thought dad was a mess. He was a mess because he couldn't show his emotions. You know, he, he found it hard to hold us. He found it hard to give affection to his wife, my mum. you know. And so I, but they were amazing parents and they supported me for whatever I was doing. However, there's, there's two voices in my head. One that says, that's great, darling. Go, get back in there and practice and keep going. And the other one that says, turn that bloody noise down. And you can tell where they're from. But they still managed to um, support me and take lessons. And I took lessons from um, a place called Brandman's Music Studios over at Rockdale. And they were great there. And I got lessons from a bunch of great teachers, um, Paul Pallister, uh, and one in particular, Mr. Vince Lobardo, who you may know. But Vince was Vince taught me about rock guitar, and we're talking about 11 to like 13, 14. He really kind of honed me in on what it was all about because I, before that I was listening to Carpenters, you know. There was no music. I wasn't, I wasn't into, into music as much. My brother was starting to get into music, and I was listening to what he was going through with Deep Purple, Yes, Genesis um, and Led Zeppelin and all the usuals and some um, Credence Clearwater Revival and things. So I started, my ears started opening up and I guess from there I started really getting into it and, because it was the only thing that I could do. Like get to, school I was okay but I didn't like it. 
I hated school and, and I used to wag school all the time. And um, we used to go around to Janet Cole's place and, and we'd drink and we'd smoke dope, you know, whatever we could get into. It was, it was anything but school and play guitar. And um, I think that from there I started jamming a lot with a guy called Lenny Marks. And Lenny's still around today and he's an amazing musician. He lives up in the mountains and does a lot of work up there. But in those days, like Earlwood was where I grew up. We had some great musicians. We had Mark Riley who was playing at 21 years old with Crossfire um, and they were doing the Montreux Jazz Festival. He was an amazing musician. We used to jam every day, you know. Um, David Ray, who was another amazing drummer who, um, who had his own problems. But we, we were kind of playing lots of music, doing lots of drugs and um, developing our musicianship. And then uh, I guess at about 15 years old, I went, the problems at home were too much. You know, he couldn't, they just couldn't handle me and I couldn't handle them. And I went, listen, no problems. If you guys, uh, for me to survive in this world, I have to get out of the family home. And I left, they said, if you leave, you leave with nothing. So mm. I left with nothing, no guitar, no nothing. And I was 15 and I stayed in, a, I just met these guys, we were jamming. I met these guys um, that were in Enmore in this house. There were eight guys living in the house and they took me in. And um, Lex Wilson was, was the guy that had the lease. And he had one room that was set up as a studio, like a, a soundproof with egg cartons all over the place. And that was sacred. You couldn't sleep in there. That was the room that could go into any time. And, um, and so I lived with them for, I don't know, six months or something like that. And that got me out of home. And I slept on the floor for six months, no money, you know, eating gyros and saving the leftovers for breakfast. And, you know, it was all, it was all a pretty crazy time because we're talking about 70s. So we're talking mid-70s. So born in 60, so 75, I was out of home. 76, I was out of home. And I was, I was lucky I was doing some gigs with um, a, a wedding band. And that was connected to Bramman's Music Studios because I was teaching there by the, by the time I'd left. So I, but I was playing bass mostly in that band. Right. And um, that kind of led me on to lots of different cover bands and stuff. And, you know, being in a, in a house with a bunch of musicians and artists, you, you meet other musicians and artists. And so we, we started putting things together and we started playing bands. And then people kind of, I don't know, people took to me really well. I was really lucky. Like uh, everything that I did, I'd get other gigs you know, because I guess, you know, from going, getting back to my, I'm just a doer and I'll, I'll, I'll work it. Mm. And so um, from there, I, I got my first tour, which was with a guy called Jamie Redfern. Mm. And Jamie Redfern was on a show here called uh, John, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was on a Saturday, Saturday, Sunday night, Young Talent Time. Right. Okay. And he was a star in that and he, played with, you know, got friendly with Liberace, all that. So it was a big thing for me. It was a two-and-a-half-week tour, and we did all the clubs in, in regional New South Wales and Victoria. And I'm out on the road, 16, 17 years old, sleeping in the back of a truck. It was a really, really good time. But um, from there, there was a lot of little venues around Sydney, like a place called Shadows, and that was a musician's hang. Shadows over at Crow's Nest. I mean, when did you come to Australia? Uh, 94. 
Yeah, right. So this we're talking about late seventies here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so there were great venues. There were amazing venues, and it was just full, pungent of music and um, musicians. Yeah. And so I used to work there sometimes four nights a week with different bands, and I still hadn't hit twenty. So I was doing lots of stuff, and you know I'd borrow guitars. My mate Frank Virgo, who's an amazing musician. He helped me out so much. He'd lend me his guitar because he was still living at home. Mm. So he still had money and he had a, had a great guitar and a great amplifier and he'd just lend them to me and he'd come and pick me up because I didn't have a car either. He'd pick me up in his car, take me to the gig, lend me his guitar and his amp, I'd take, then take me home. You know, it was incredible. <laughs> he was an incredible dude, an absolutely incredible dude. And I've got so much love and respect for Frank. Monkey boy, get the... F- <laughs> Go. So from there I started um, Jamie Redfern and then, I, you know, I got a gig on a cruise ship. I was teaching a lot, teaching full-time. Mm. I hated it. Yeah, right. I just hated it. I mean, I didn't hate it. I what, just was, what, what didn't you like about it? Well, I, I wasn't good at it. it wasn't, maybe it wasn't me mostly, but most of the students would roll up not having done what I told them about the last week. Oh, okay. And so how do I progress with that? Yeah, right, gotcha. Right. So, and I wasn't just going to learn, teach people songs, you know. So, so I, I made, an, a, made a, a decision one day and I was living in my, my house with, a bro, with my brother <clears throat> and I went, I'm just going to stop teaching because I don't love doing it. I want to do other things. I want to do session work and I want to play in bands and I want to tour and I want to do that. So I did. I just stopped. I said, I'm not coming in anymore. Um, that's the end for me. And I starved for a long time till I made up some sort of momentum with, with people. But I got a job on a cruise ship, which meant great accommodation uh, and a wage and food. So I did that. That was 1980. And I did two cruise ships and they totaled uh, eight months. Right. Uh, I've lost a lot of gear and had a lot of gear stolen over the years, Steve. You know, and, and that, was, that was one event that I lost um, a beautiful guitar, saved up money, lost a guitar and an amplifier. And um, that all went. And mm. that was a rotten, rotten situation. The story there was that um, the, and he's still around. And I don't know if I should mention his name. No, fuck it, I won't. Give him nothing. <laughs> yeah, give him um, nothing, man. Yeah. Give him nothing. Yeah. yeah. He, um, he was an alcoholic nightmare, a nightmare. Just an alcoholic, could never play the parts right. He was a mess. And um, he... We were, we were getting has, hammered, you know, by the cruise directors and et cetera. And I just, I just one day went, take the initiative. And I went, okay, well, look, you know, this guy's getting paid 40 bucks more than us. He's, he's always drunk. He's never doing the gig. I'll tell you what, split that $40 amongst everybody and, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll look after everything. Not, you know, not wanting the money or anything. Just, yeah. Let's just get the job done properly. Yeah. Anyway, he didn't like that and he he got that we had on every cruise ship there were two police and he i got thrown into a cabin once with two police they had me by the throat you fucking saying this you're saying that you're saying that about us and you're saying that 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 um uh mr keyboard player was doing cocaine with us we're going to take you down. <laughs> and we got, well, I was scared shitless. Yeah. Because he he'd told me that they'd been doing cocaine together right. with the coppers. <laughs> right? So, so I've gone, 
I've gone into Michelle going, oh, this is the end of my life. They're going to get me for fraud. They're going to get me for, you know, everything. As it ends up, they couldn't do anything about it. And I was free. But we did this one cruise that went up to Hong Kong and I'd saved up some money and I bought this amazing SG Custom, my hero guitar, the one that I've always wanted, three gold pickups and, um, and a Music Man amplifier. And we came back down Indonesia, down Perth. Now, we got to Perth and the ports came on and checked my cabin and confiscated the guitar and the amplifier because I hadn't signed it, I hadn't signed it onto a, what they called a Form 5, which I didn't know I had to do. So blah, blah, blah. What had happened is, and we found out later that this guy had made the phone call to the yeah. authorities and dobbed me in, Fuck. knowing full well that I didn't know the... And so I lost all that and he got off, he, uh, what happened? I can't remember what the whole details. I couldn't get it back. I could have bought it back if I'd um, gone for the, um, or the auction, mm. but just gave up on it. It was going to cost me that much money again. I couldn't afford it. But he's still around, that guy, and right. I can't believe he's still around because he's a, he was a nasty man. So, so anyway, that, that's, that's what that was, eight months of cruise ships. And so, I got so, a, Okay, so with, the, with that gig, though, is it a reading gig? Can, do you read? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm not yep. a great reader, but I, yep. I had to read. Enough. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm. Yeah, it was because you, had, you could, had to. The funny thing is, is I, when I went for the job in the, in the newspaper, it said singer slash guitarist wanted for cruise ships, must be able to read charts to back acts. Right. And I think I was last in on the day. And most of the guys could strum a guitar and sing songs, but mm. they couldn't read and they couldn't really do the parts. And, and I got in there and they put a chart for me. I could read it and they said sing something. And I was pretty terrible. I was shit. I still am a shit singer. But they gave me the job anyway. And um, after the first cruise, <laughs> the, everybody on the, the passengers get a, a questionnaire, you know, how was the service? How would you rate the entertainment? How would you rate the food? Blah, blah, blah. And about 50% of them said, great band, sack the singer. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so so I, they, they kind of let me do the next cruise, which was another two-week cruise. And then they got another keyboard player on who was a great singer. We shared the songs the, the night. And it was great. It was right. really, really good fun. He was a great guy too. Um, so, yeah, that's, that was the cruise scene. And then once I got off cruise ships, I started playing in cover bands again. And I was, I mean, by this time, so I was 21, 20, I think I turned 20, 20 years old on the day we crossed the um, equator. So, so that's, so I got off at about 21 years old and um, I started playing with lots of little cover bands and then eventually got to meet Clive Harrison, who was a big session bass player at the time. So coming into my early mid twenties, that's when I started working with Clive. And Clive took me on. He was he was doing sessions like playing for Little River Band, um, and recording on all the Cla- Richard Clapton albums and all that sort of stuff. So he told me a lot about what would go on in those sessions. Right. <laughs> right. And um, you know, so from there I started. Um, Clive was doing a lot of sessions, like a lot of jingles, and he recommended me to uh, Les Gock who was the big jingle writer at the time and still is the most amazing creator. Mm. You know, he's one of those guys that just has a a concept that works, you know, as far as advertising is concerned, music. So, and I still work with Les today and I love him and he's such a great character and and he's great fun to be around and he's a great musician. 
Um, but I started doing sessions and they were jingles, you know. And I remember my first session, it was down at um, uh, Castle Ray Street at the old 301, 17th floor, when you could park in the street. Or if you couldn't park in the street, they'd give you a garage. You could get into the garage. They'd open up the garage, come down and open up the garage and let you park inside the building. Yeah, right. You know? So it was one of the, it was, it was, that's how far away it was, how long ago. And I remember the first session, I got up at six o'clock in the morning for a 10 o'clock session, changed my strings, practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and got to the gig half an hour early and I sat in the back room and practiced and practiced and practiced. All right, guys, here's the song. That was it. Right. But be, because I'd done all those things, I he and Les liked me, and he liked that I was conscientious. He got me for every other gig that came along. Right. And as that happened, I started getting other people, other producers, ringing me. You know, it was kind of like, "Who's the new guy? <laughs> the young guy?" <laughs> they say there's a there's a progress in in being a session musician. It's like, "Who's Peter Northcote? Uh, get me Peter Northcote." Get me a young Peter Northcote. <laughs> Who's Peter Northcote? <laughs> that's good. So, um, so yeah, that, that's when the session thing happened. But I used to work with people like um, Phil Scourges. Oh, with, Le- with, with Clive Harrison, we did a gig every Sunday for a couple of years, every Saturday, Friday and Saturday night up at Newcastle at a great venue in Newcastle. And that was cutting my teeth because we'd learn cover songs with a great band, an amazing band, two keyboard players, great singers, and sometimes horns. So it was a really, really, really great band. And we'd do that Fridays and Saturday nights. We'd stay overnight. From there, I, I remember getting a call from uh, Phil Scorgi, who's an, another amazing bass player. And yep. bass player. And he said, look, Peter, I've heard about you. Um, <laughs> I've got a gig at the basement. We're doing a Friday and Saturday. Our guitar player can't make the Saturday. Can you come and do it? And this was probably a Thursday. Mm-hmm. He's called me up can you do the Saturday night? And I said, yep. He said, well, look, we've got the charts, uh, but he's, the, the guitar player's going to need them on Friday night, so, you, so you'll only get them on Saturday. And I went, <laughs> oh, fuck. And so and not being a great reader, I thought, well, I'll, I'll come to the gig after you've finished playing, yeah, right. which was at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Picked up the charts, went home, stayed up all night learning these charts because they were complex, really co- like jazz, not – Modern jazz, but not uh, heavy jazz, more like, you know, like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of who, who the stuff, like the Quincy Jones stuff. It was all yep. pretty, gotcha. pretty gotcha. heavy stuff. And um, I sat up all day and then I went teaching in the afternoon and came home and practiced until the gig. And I must have been prepared because they ended up using me again and again and again. I think that that's, that kind of led me on to, uh, I got a gig with Stevie Wright from the Easy Beats. I remember touring with him for six months and Stevie had been through a lot of dilemma mm. and just gotten healthy again. And we toured the Evie album. Right. Yeah. And um, we played all those songs and Stevie was, oh man, he was a mess. He was beautiful. You know, like most of those guys that are, that are heroin addicts, they're beautiful people. But they're a fucking mess. Yeah. They're just a real mess and they struggle with their lives all the time. Stevie was... Uh, clean when we first started and then as we got on into the tour the the road manager had to ration out his his drugs to him oh, so he wasn't it wasn't really bad until one day towards the end of the tour we were playing i think it was dy 
I remember because we toured, uh, you know, all over Australia and um, we got to one gig and Stevie was off his tree. And it wasn't just heroin. He was on speed. He was on anything that he could get in those days. And um, we played three songs and he called Evie, which was our last song. And we're going, why is he calling it now? Maybe he just can't do anymore. So we did the three songs yeah. and got off stage. I was, Stevie, why, why are we off so early? Well, that was the gig, wasn't it? It's like, no, man, yeah. we've only done three songs. Oh, shit, we better get it back on. St-. So we had to go back on stage and finish the gig. Oh, we played another, you know, whole set. Right. So I, from there, I guess um, that was my, my first touring, real touring experience. Mm. And then I got um, an audition for Richard Clapton's band. Worked with Richard um, for two and a half years. Uh, and that was a lesson in uh, getting a cocaine habit. Um, because Richard, how to how to get a cocaine habit? How, how to get a cocaine oh, habit? Yeah, yeah, good yeah. Stuff. That was that was what it was. It was just cocaine every gig, yeah. every day, every night, and um, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was a great time for great for a guitar player because Richard would just start the song and then do his verse and then go off. And there's always lots of long guitar solos. I really love uh, Frank Zappa. Yep. And Frank Zappa doesn't like drugs, doesn't do drugs. Right. But he wrote a song called Cocaine Decisions. You are a doctor or a lawyer, cocaine decisions. And that's what Richard's, Richard was like. There was no reality in what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, I mean, it doesn't take much to play 12 songs every day, every gig right. for the rest of your life. Mm. You know, and I, I think I'd be bored shitless too, but. You know, that's when my dad passed away and that was when that whole change of life went on too. Mm. And, you know, coming out of a a cocaine-fueled... Good good way to get straight. I mean, I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky with drugs because my body always goes, that's enough. I never get hooked. I mean, I got hooked on it, but my body eventually goes, "Uh uh-uh, no more. Right. Otherwise, you're going down. And I've seen too many people go down. So so I stopped and, you know, and and... Uh, mind you, I wasn't as bad as some people. You know what? Some people get really bad habits. I was never that bad. I mean, maybe I was, but I didn't think I was. Yeah, it's always the way. <laughs> Typical <laughs> drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I preface this all with I don't touch, I haven't touched any drugs for, God, it's got to be 25 years. How oh, good on you. So I don't touch anything. But um, so when Dad passed away, my whole process of living as just a muso, making gigs, getting money, mate, you know, having a beer, you know, what are you doing, hanging out, learning songs, you know, it all changed, right. completely changed. It's like the whole mindset just shifted. And, and as I say, like those big lessons really change a musician and make a musician. And I think you've got to, um, when they happen, like a parent dying or a child dying or whatever, I think you've got to kind of try and find uh, a positive path. And, and stay with that path. Otherwise, you go down. From there, I started um, working with Dragon. I was with, I had a beautiful girlfriend at the time too. Her name was Kelly Abbey. And she was, um, she's an amazing dancer and choreographer. And she was just, we had a, because she had a, a situation where her partner had just died. And my dad was dying. So we went through this whole thing together, this whole spiritual transformation. Again, not like hippies or, no, wow, you. man, yeah. I'm so spiritual. No, it yeah. wasn't anything like that. It was, yeah. it was much more beyond that. 
And we were, we had a really great relationship in that regard. And she was creative too. She was an actor and a dancer. And, but that changed me. And that's when I started working with Dragon. Mm. And Dragon I did for, oh, I've got to be six years. Mm. We had an amazing time. And it was with, with the real Dragon with Mark Hunter. Yep. Who was just a fucking beautiful Larrikin character. He was great. He used to call me Petey Wheatstraw. <laughs> Petey Wheatstraw. I remember him walking out of the lift one one night after a gig and we'd been out, the, the couple of the guys had been out having pizza and we're about to get back into the lift to go up to our bedrooms. It's after three o'clock in the morning and Mark's on his way down off his tree. So Mark's gotten out of the lift and we're on the way back up to bed. You know, he said, come on, Pete, let's go and paint them again down. I've gone, mate, I'm just going to go to bed. We've been out. He said, and this line I'll never forget. Come on, Pete, you're almost human. Don't quit now. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark was great. Mark was such a good dude. I really yeah. loved him. And we, we had a, he was a really good fun guy. You know, I really liked him. Yeah. And he liked me too, I think, because I was, I was light, you know. That's good. So, um, so we did that for a long time. And, and within that band, we did, um, we worked with uh, Sharon O'Neill a lot. So I toured with Sharon O'Neill. Yep. We did this, we did gigs with Farnsey. Barnsey and you know whoever else mm. so we, we would do we would be the backing band we were a good backing band you know and we would play with everybody so yep. whenever there was a big concert we'd be the backing band and cool. um, we did a number of those um so that was a really great time and of course when we weren't on the road I was still on a, a retainer yeah, right. you know in those days I think it was like fifteen hundred dollars a week really yeah man it was amazing wow. amazing time and then I was doing sessions as well like you know um, and if we weren't gigging, I was doing sessions. So sessions galore were just every day I'd do two, three, five, you know, depending yeah, on what it was. Yeah. And that was, I mean, the sessions is one thing, but the touring, I'll, I'll keep talking about the touring because the yeah, sessions just, I could talk about let me forever. Just, let's go back to the retainer thing then because that, that's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, in, for example, 12 months, how, how often in that 12 months is Dragon actually playing and how often yeah. are you – Getting that fifteen hundred dollars. Right. A week so we container. would do. Yep. We would do. Um, for example, we might do a, a six month run. Yep. And we, or it might be a three month run. You know. And then if we w- didn't have any gigs on that week, we'd still be on the retainer. Right. Right. So, so this would go on. It'd be a run. Like it might be six months, and if we didn't have any gigs on in the week, we'd we'd be still be paid the retainer. Oh, okay. So it's the retainer for the run. Okay. Yeah, for During the, run. the run. Right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, so, um, uh, but you know, the, the most we we wouldn't be doing anything would be three or four months. Wow. And I was just doing sessions anyway. So, um, I mean, it's all a bit blurry to me. Or the yeah, past, yeah. I can't really yeah, remember because cool. I, as I like, I say to you, I simulate events and move through them, and that's enough. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, but so, um, so, so, were you were you there with Dragon up till um, Mark, Mark passed. passed away? Yeah, I well, I think I'd started doing other things. I might that might have been the very last tour that I couldn't do. Okay, and that's when uh, that was a completely different band, right? And I mean, I was getting people like uh, Gordon Rittmeister in it. Yeah, in in on on that gig, I got him got him in on that. Yeah, and because we were playing in a band called Glue, yeah, we yeah, had an yeah, instrumental no, band. Yeah. You know, which was which was pretty adventurous. Yep. But Glue, I don't know. People know this, but some people will know this. Glue was a jazz fusion band, 
and it was more jazz than I was fusion. Okay. Yeah, it was more jazz. Um, it was just more jazz than I could handle. I, I'm not a jazz musician at all, you know. And it was great because we did incorporate the rock side of fusion things, you know, but but it was just a bit too jazz for me and I couldn't really cope with it. It wasn't, wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But, but that was really good fun. Don't get me wrong. We, we wrote some amazing music. We would rehearse a couple of days a week, just get at Gordy's place and just write music. So that was around about that time too. Yep. I used to do, there was a couple of residencies that I used to do, a place up at the top, uh, not on the top, it was, I think it was the sixth floor of the Hilton Hotel called Juliana's. Right. And that was an amazing gig. It was like a, uh, it was a nightclub, like an old style nightclub with yep. old, you know, and I used to do that with um, Tina Cross. Would you know Tina Cross from New Zealand? No. She was amazing. Incredible. Great singer. Yep. And that show had dancers. So we we had a, it was a really really good show and um, a great band. Oh, I've always played with great bands. I've always been able to yeah. play with great musicians. Yeah. Again, lots of um, lots of cover bands. And then I got a gig with Jenny Morris. Yep. I love Jenny Morris. She's yep. such a beautiful woman, such a great songwriter and such a great person. She doesn't sing anymore. Yeah. She's got this throat thing that just doesn't work for her, and which is real shame because she's such a she was great. And there's a couple of clips on YouTube with me playing with her mm-hmm. and she was a, such a great band too. We had Rajan Kamal on keyboards, mm-hmm. Kamal's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Victor Rounds on bass, Con Centenary on drums and, um, and Sunil De Silva on percussion. Mm-hmm. Great band, really good fun. And it wasn't like a rock band, you know, it was more like a funk, funk rock band. From there I got a tour. You know, it's really interesting. I toured with the Monkees. We did a, uh, I don't know, it might've been a three-week tour Australia and New Zealand. Now, when I was a kid, apparently I screamed out for a guitar because I used to watch the monkeys. <laughs> and here I am in 1990 touring with the monkeys. Yeah. You know, it's like the like it just the whole full circle, there it was, playing with the monkeys, you know. So that was really interesting. That was incredible. And now you got, a, a, now you got a now you got a cat called Monkey. Monkey Boy, yeah, Monkey that's boy. right. <laughs> Um, they were they were more like a club band back then, you know, when, when I was touring. But they're still great fun. It was great music to play. Yep. From there I got uh, Margaret Ehrlich gig. Yep. Margaret, do you, you know Margaret from New oh, Zealand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She yep. was amazed. Actually, that's the, the CD. You can't see it there, but I've I got a CD. I can see the bottom it's, of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So she, we, we toured that album and that was a great band again. I mean, we had um, uh, Hamish Stewart on drums. Yep. Mark Costa on bass, yep. uh, Andrew O and Paul Thorn, Paul Greg Thorne. And then we had Danny DeCosta, Mary as a party, Tony's sister, mm-hmm. and Ian Belton, who's not no longer with us on bass. It was a great band. Oh no, that, that was no, that was Mark Costa in that band. Yeah. That was a really, really good band and that was great music to play. And again, it wasn't a rock band, you know, after doing Dragon and Steve and Steve um Stevie Wright and Richard Clapton, to go yeah. into a band like that, it was more of a, well, it was like a great function band. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> and um, we, it was more finessed. It wasn't just loud. It was all ups and downs and it was beautiful. There, from that, um, the band was so good, the record label recommended us to Daryl Braithwaite. Right. So, so Daryl took us on. He bought uh, John Corniola on drums. Yep. And then... Um, uh, another guy called Chuck on guitar, 
and that was that was a really interesting time because it it was like the Sydney guys versus the Melbourne guys. It was really yeah. really weird. Right, you you toured the Rise album, eh? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those songs. Yep. So, um, and again, there's a couple of YouTube videos of me with Daryl. Yeah, I was watching one today. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were they were they were hard hard in the fact that there was no camaraderie in that band except for oh, right. you know the Sydney guys and John John Corniola was fantastic. I love him. He was great, and we got on really well. But there was seemed to be this with with Daryl and the other guitar player. There's a, a them and us situation, really? which was just a bit weird. And Daryl's a bit of a shy guy anyway, you right, know. So we right. so we we kind of struggled through that gig, I reckon. It wasn't it wasn't I didn't really get into the songs. I, I thought the, the songs were a bit sort of bitsy. I don't know. <laughs> they were chucked together or something. It just yeah. didn't seem like right music. It was yeah. like guessing get people guessing music. I I shouldn't say that. They were great songs, you know. But that, but, that particular album for me personally the the drums on that because that's John Watson, yeah right. Um, was so that his playing on that album was so influential to my playing at that time. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Watto was amazing. I worked with Watto. We used to work with Watto with um, um, Richard and Dragon a lot. That, he was yeah, amazing. Yeah, I've yeah. been trying to get him on the podcast, but he's yeah he's, he's very shy. he seems very shy, man. Yeah. Mm. He's amazing. He was like this oh, just, solid rock player. Yeah, and then the stuff with with um, James Rain as well. Just a critical right. drummer. I'd love to talk yeah. to him. Man. He's, you know. But yeah, just that uh, his playing on that album was. Just I, I remember blows me away. <laughs> I remember what I, he said. What's your favorite album? What's your favorite uh, band, Pete? I said, Well, I really love um, Yes. <laughs> he says, Oh yeah, the the rhythm tracks from hell, and then they get the chicken in to sing. <laughs> I could never forget that. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So from there I got kind of still doing more sessions. I think that was kind of when I kind of pulled out of touring. I, I okay. had little bits, of, little bits of things. I can't remember them all. It's like it's a blur. Yeah, that's like cool, I, You don't have to I've remember a, them all. I've got a room, uh, 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 laminates and lanyards over there that I just, yeah. I, if I went through them, you'd, it'd be hilarious. But, yeah. um, I, you know, it started doing more TV work and more. Right. Um, cover bands and and show bands and things, and I I got to do lots and lots of sessions, lots of TV. I played in Club Buggery. I used to do the Channel Nine show, and we used to do that. Like Jamie Rigg was the um, the MD in those days, and Jamie would do these big concerts with a whole bunch of different artists, and I'd get to play with all the artists, and I'd be the guitar player. Yeah, um, we played with Tom Jones. There's there's a video of me on Tom with Tom Jones. We that was hilarious. We we had this band of doom, band from doom. I think it was three horns, three vocalists. Barry Leaf was in that in that um, vocal section. The band was fucking amazing. Was Kerry, Kerry played drums on that? Kerry played drums on that. Yeah, yeah. And so we had um, uh, a rehearsal in the afternoon. We'd be given the songs. We, and it was a Ray Martin special, so it was a whole hour. Yeah, you know. Uh, Tom Jones on Ray Martin. It was a whole big special. And, uh, we we learnt the songs. We rehearsed them in the afternoon. We may have even had a rehearsal at a studio. I can't remember because we were on fire. It was really, really good. Yes. And I remember when Tom came to rehearse with us, he walked with his minders and the manager and he said, walked and stood in front of the microphone and didn't say hello to us. 
And I went, you're not getting away with it, mate. Hey, Tom, how you going? <laughs> oh, yeah, how are you going, boys? You know, because you always get referred to as uh, as a unit, not as a single person when right. you're in a band. Right. Like, you know, you'll be in a, you'll be in a uh, band room and somebody, the manager will come in and go, you might be the only person in the band room and the manager will go, are you guys all right? You guys, everybody's, you know, <laughs> how are you guys? It's like, it's only me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, so he said, oh, hey, guys, how are you going? Oh, thank you, yeah. And anyway, we we played um, the, the songs and they were fucking amazing. I still remember that band being one of the best things that I'd done. And um, Tom, at the end of the rehearsal, just walked off and I went, see you at the, at the real show, Tom. <laughs> all the band looking at me like, what the so um, that was really good. Yeah. I got to play with Shania Twain, Lionel Richie. I mean, there were so many of those guys that would come through town and yeah. um, a, a lot of the opera people would just recommend me and I'd get a band together or whatever. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but I, then I kind of, you know, started playing with and doing albums for people like, I've just got a list here. Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> oh, I won't go through all of them. Yeah. Anthony Kalia, Bob Down, Bra- Dale Braithwaite, Doc Neeson. Yep. Oh, that's another time that I should talk about. Uh, Dragon, Grace, Grace Knight, Guy Sebastian. I played on both of his two al- first two albums. Yep. High Five, I've played on every High Five album there was. Is that right? Uh, I might have been, there's a couple of, there's a new High Five now, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Human Nature, I played on their first two albums. Jenny Morris, Jimmy Barnes, Julie Anthony, I played on her albums. Uh, Marsha Hines, uh, Margaret Ehrlich, Mark Hunter, Neil Murray, Paul Kelly, Shannon Knoll, Sharon O'Neill, Simon Phillips, the drummer, when he came to Sydney. Yeah, I've, 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 I want to ask you about that because he's yeah. one of my favourite uh, drummers. Yindi and then Elton John. We toured with Elton, Sher, Twi- Shania Twain, Billy Joel, Monkeys, Rod Stewart, Bo Diddley. I played with Bo Diddley. He couldn't tune his guitar. I had to tune it for him. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's some of the guys that I've worked with back yeah. then. It, as I say, it's a blur. but Right. Um, the Simon Phillips thing was interesting because he was um, he was here to do um, a workshop, a live uh, in the studio workshop, and he uh, was, they was got this, a band together. Was this about nineteen ninety five? That's it. Hang on, I'm going to take my webcam cam off. I'm going to show you something. You're kidding me. Oh, you're kidding me! There is a, the uh, that's the clinic. That's for the that's clinic. the clinic. Yeah. Did you go to the clinic? I sure did. That was the- so. Did you come to the one at um, in Surrey Hills, the, the nah. recording studio one? Nah. Right, because there was only a, only a handful there. Like Might have been ma- about like a masterclass type sort of setup. That's right. I'd only so, I'd only been in Australia for six months. Perhaps. There you go. And that was yeah. my that was my first yeah major clinic. Major artist in, in well, Australia. There you go. Yeah. So that would have been what ninety five. Ninety five. Yeah, that's, that's what yeah, it's got that's here it. on the thing. Yeah. That's it. And I can tell you why it was ninety five because I remember doing it and it was so amazing. I got a DAT tape version of it because it was so incredible. Because he just hit us up with a song on the day, and it was a complex song, really complex. And he showed how he recorded his drums and etc. And he he I'm, I still remember him coming up to me going. You're good, man. That was great. I was like, I'm not that good. You know, I didn't think I was like at his level, but he said, yeah. I really like the way that you, you know. So I, I connected with him on that regard. It was really good. That's cool. Um, but I got a DAT tape of it from one of the guys at the studio because I knew everybody in the studios in those days. And I used to carry it around in my bag for some reason, my gig bag that had everything. And then one day, um, and it must have been not long after, I um, got robbed in my car on the way to a gig and it was, it was at Regent Street up at the top of the railway bridge in, uh, uh, 
Redfern and it was dark and it was raining and I saw this guy walk past in a hoodie and then he walked past again, opened up my passenger side door and grabbed my bag and ran through a hole in the fence. Oh, fuck. So I went, fuck you, what the? And so I closed the door, thought I'd locked it. Of course I didn't. When I came back, the passenger side door was still flapping up. I had my guitars in the back seat. So oh. people were just driving around it. People just driving around. I chased him, jumped through the hole in the fence, fell 10 metres through Lantana and stuff <laughs> right down to the railway track, landed on this ledge at the railway track that I thought was about, you know, five foot. So I, I couldn't see anything, but I could just listen that there was no trains coming. So I jumped. And, of course, it was about 12, 13 foot. <laughs> so I've ju- landed on my knees. I've, oh, I've buggered shit. my knees. Adrenaline's pumping. Yeah. I've sh- put my wrist out. I'm about to do you got blood pouring out of it everywhere. I've climbed <laughs> up the, up the, the, the tunnel, gone, got in my car, the passenger side door still flapping open. I'm sopping wet. I've got blood. I've got smashed my glasses. Oh, you know, it was all that sort of stuff. And I've driven up, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the street, but I did it up the wrong way. I did it up the other way. Right. I did it three times, went right. around the block three times and couldn't find this guy. He'd gone. But um, that, that, that tape was in that bag. <sighs> anyway, to, to, make, to make things worse, um, two months after that, I come home after a gig on a Saturday night. My house is totaled every cupboard in that place. And I'd been in that house for 15 years. Um, I lost everything. They took all my guitars. They took all my amps, my stereo, my TV, you name it. Uh, And I replaced it all. And I had no insurance. I still don't have insurance. (laughs) But that's that's a a mindset thing again. But um, I replaced it all. And then two months later, they did it again. So that bag that they took, did it have any personal information, your address and stuff? Everything. Oh, everything. So they would have, they would have known that they've I'm set a, up a home studio now. They've got, that's, that's, yep, <laughs> they've sold copies of that Simon Phillips tape. I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm sure there's a copy around somewhere. I mean, yeah. I'd love to hear it because it was yeah, really right. good. It was a really interesting piece too. It was a, a very fusiony sort of piece, and yeah. we had to work out. I think Leon Gale was on that that um, on the day, right? Uh, but it was really good. Really, really good. Yeah, so that that was my um, it's Simon Phillips my, story. Yeah, dealing with Simon <laughs> Phillips. Yeah, so you know, from all those things, I, I, I it's been a it's been a long journey. I don't, it feels like it's it's still going. Yeah, you know, it is still yeah, going. I mean, it is still going. I don't want I don't want to tour and do all that stuff anymore. Yep. I mean, I'm too old to do that anyway. But but I, I love doing my gigs and I love the audience that come along and I love the people that I work with and and um. Yeah, I'm really lucky, man. Really lucky, you know. I've been lucky all throughout my career. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've had some bad luck, don't get me wrong, you know, <laughs> having my gear stolen so many times Three and times, all that yeah. sort of But, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a great thing, really good. And I think, you know, um, like I've done a couple of albums. They were a waste of time. They weren't at the time. They were good for me, you know. Yeah, in, and, in that interview with Matt in 2016, you said that, you weren't going to do any more um, albums. Do you kind of still stand by that? Yeah, I don't think anybody should do albums. I don't think yeah, right. it's over. It's gone. It's like making a you know a wax, a wax, you know, 
audio book or something. I don't. It's just over. It's it's just not there anymore. People don't buy albums. People, you know. I think we're in a stage where music's not that important. I keep saying this. It is to me, and it is to you, but it's yep. not. It's not to everybody. They can get it for free, and and so they should. And and you. What, can't what do you mean? Vic- what do you mean? So they should? I don't. I don't agree well, with that. It's it's just nature. That's just nature. Yeah. I think that with, with with music, we are always the first to deal with with new new technology. Look at uh, MP3. As soon as MP3s came in, we lost the ability to sell music. Yeah. Okay. Uh, look at COVID nineteen. <laughs> Yeah. We're the ones that get hit and we'll be the hit the longest, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right. So we have to learn to adapt. We're creative. We have to learn to adapt. And that's um that's the way it is. I, I think that people spend a lot of money on doing albums and making CDs, which no I haven't got a CD player. Mm. I don't have CDs. I've got one in my car, but but it's a hassle to get to. And um <laughs> you know, I I don't people give me CD. Here, listen to my CD. It's like what do I do with this? You know, create pancakes. Yeah. You know, so it's, I, I don't think it's worthwhile doing those sort of things. Unless you're a, a big selling artist, I think it's a waste of time. Mm. I mean, sure, make music and put it up, put it up, let people like it. You know, we're, we're, we're in, a, in a very interesting time right now and it's great that it's come to this because do you charge people for your music? Do, are they willing to pay for it or are they doing it out of sympathy? You know, I, I hate this. Yeah. Support your sport live music. Go out and see a band. No, fuck off. I don't want to do that. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I hate, I, every time I go out, it's crap. I don't want to do that. I'd rather stay at home. I don't want to go and support music. People love doing it and they're the ones that are supporting it, but that's their joy, you know. My joy is playing for them. I don't feel the need to support stuff where I have to go and sit and stand or and then go and have to buy a CD that I'm never going to play. It's reality. You've just got to get into it. Streaming's the answer. Let's get into it. Yeah. I use streaming. I pay for, for Spotify, mm. you know, um, and uh, um, but CDs uh, or anything like that, it's, there's no points. You know, it's really interesting doing these ISO duos. Mm. It, it, they're not, they're done in a day. Yeah. And they're done, um, on, in my home studio, and they are mixed down to a stereo track that sounds decent, but it ends up being lowest quality when it gets to Facebook. As soon as it goes yep. through that pipe, it becomes shit. Yep. People don't care. No, no. Four, they don't care. 400, they 420,000 views yeah, in a and couple listens of weeks. or whatever. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's people, you can spend a fortune on it doing amazing recordings. People don't care. People don't care. So I, I take on that thing. You know, I used to go to gigs and I used to used to work on a 7% principle. What, what do I mean by that? Well, mm. if I invite 100 people, seven might come. Out of those seven, one might buy a CD. Okay. So that's the principle. I mean, it's the, the, the barometer's moved up a lot since I've been doing it, you know, doing it myself and doing a lot of it. Mm. So it's changed. But I don't think, I think that you should just put music out and and if you know put a put a sign up i mean the, um, these online ticketing things for for average bands that's not going to work it's not going to work donations or tip jar that's the way to do it yeah. and then you're not forcing people to do it and you know it can work out really good and people feel good about helping people that love to do what they're doing you know 
So that's the answer for me. I mean, the albums like Poindexter was a was a wow man. That was a that took years out of my life doing that album, and it was you know I grew up listening to concept albums like Pink Floyd and Supertramp and Yes and Genesis, and they were all the stories and the whole thing. So I wanted to do one, yeah. and that's what Poindexter was. Yeah, and I did everything myself, everything, and like I do with with all the things that I do, I just. I like to. It's not like I'm a control freak. It's just that I can't find good help. I remember taking a, remember taking a, um, a photo. I had to go from had to go in a magazine, and I had to put my name on it. And I thought, well, I haven't got the right fonts. And I took it to this girl. How much? I got recommendation off Facebook. How much is it going to cost? Three hundred dollars an hour. And I thought, if it takes you more than an hour, it's going to there's something wrong. So all right, let's do it. And I sent her the stuff. You know what she did? She took the font, changed it from white to black and put it up there. And I went, you can keep it. <laughs> I'm not paying you $300. So, you know, like that's, they're, yeah. they're students learning. As, so I thought, well, I might as well just learn it myself. Right. You know, so I do everything myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get help from people, but, you know, doing an album yourself is a, is a, is a challenge because you're, you're the only one that's listening to it, making decisions. Yeah. I mean, I, you know? I, did, I did an EP myself. Did you? Played. All the instruments, except except there was a couple of, I think there was a, a mate of mine did, did on two of the tracks. Did two of my mates did the solos. And um, how did I, it go? It was good, man. I'll send you the link after this. You can have a listen, have a laugh. Absolutely, love to. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I, I think it's like I'm really proud of it. And and the way I did it, I, um, I'm a little bit like, like I like to keep moving forward. Mm. I like to keep challenging myself, and I and I've always done that, be it with bands or. Music and then you know once, you know once I stopped playing music, I started this podcast. So that's my yeah. that's yeah. my thing now. But I set yeah. a goal at the start of uh, what year was it? Two thousand and was the start of two thousand eighteen. I said right on the first of January. I got on Facebook and I said, "I'm here to tell you that I am going to write, record, and release my." Solo EP, my first EP, and I'm going to do it by this time. And now that I've told you, I'm accountable. <laughs> That's right. There <laughs> so, you go. So I had to do it. So I did it. You know, how many tracks? Ah, uh, three, just three. And um, did you make physical copies? Uh, no, I didn't. No, it's yeah. all yeah, it's all streaming. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. So yeah, after this, I'll send you a link. You send it to me. Yeah, check love it to out. Have a yeah, have a listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Now you had your own um, recording studio for a while with. Chad Wackerman. That's right. Right. Yeah, Chad, Chad rang me up one day. We, he'd come to town and he married uh, an Australian girl who I'd, I'd worked with, uh, who's no longer with us anymore. But um, she was um, she was an amazing singer and he married her and he needed a place to play, you know, of course, being Chad Wackerman. And he had a studio over at the, the B studio of Megaphone. And so um, that was in St. Peter's. He rang me up and said, would you like to go in? Because we were doing sessions together. Would you like to go into the studio with me, share it? Mm. I said, yeah. And I'm back then. It was only a couple of hundred dollars a week. I thought, yep, no problems. Let's do it. I never used to go there because he was there all the time. And I just oh, right. think, oh, it's just there if I need it. If I, can, if I need to do a session for somebody, I can book the time and just go there. But then three years into it, he decided to go back to the States because he has a child with um, fragile X syndrome. And yeah. so he was going to get better support with with the kid over there. So yep. um, 
he went back to the States and I took over the studio. Right. And um, I had that studio until about 2013. And it was great. But like playing with Chad was interesting, man. Because he, he played on a lot of my library albums as well. Yeah. He would do, uh, I would write out my basic charts. He would sit there and listen to the, my demos. And I'd say to him what I wanted. And he would write his notes on the chart. And if he didn't get it in the first take, and they weren't easy songs. They were complex stuff, you know, lots lots and lots of accents. He'd get it on the second take. And if he didn't get it on the third, second, he'd only do the third take. And if he didn't get it on the third, that, that was, was it. There get was someone nothing. else. <laughs> someone else. No, but he never, he never got to the third take. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, the first take was always amazing. The second take was just, you know, more, more um, refined. Yeah. You know. So, uh, yeah, but he was an amazing player. He's, amazing He's musician. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some, but when I was um, researching for Leon's interview. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was researching some some stuff and there's some YouTube clips of Leon playing with, yeah. playing with, um, with Chad. Well, I used, to, I used to do um, the library albums with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you do, did you do the song that got on Oprah then? That Leon was talking oh, about? I, I don't or know. Well, you don't know. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. so many. I mean, yeah, yeah. so many, you know. Like I, I listen to um, old commercials now and I think, I think I played on that. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> I just don't know. I can't, I can't yeah. remember. So, You've got to remember I was doing them every day. Yeah. Every day, sometimes three, five, you know, and then I was going, I had a full-time employee. I had a guy that was lugging my guitars on my amps around, changing yeah. my strings overnight. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was such a busy time for me. It was just, and I was young, so I was kind of keen to keep going. You know, I just kept doing it, and I was making a fortune. I bought a house, and you know, and I was always always had good gear, and always had good cars, and you know, it was all those those sort of things. But I don't remember exactly everything that I did. Yeah, you know? it's funny. I was looking at a, I was cleaning out a drawer the other day, and I saw an invoice book, <laughs> and seeing how much money I was making. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. I mean, I was living. I was living really well. I still do. I've always lived really well. Like I, yeah, I don't enough. think of money as 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 uh, anything. It's just I've got it and I spend it. That's the way. You know, yep. I don't hang on to it, but I, I I open up to money, and it's it's been really good in that regard. And I've been really lucky. Yep, just been really lucky being in the right place at the right time. People have liked what I've done, and and some reason they just kept booking me you know yeah and i think of you know being a musician is not only about your playing you know i've seen some amazing players fall apart in a session because they're either not dressed properly yep simple things or they're they're not focused on the the gig and they're waiting uh, i've got to get out of here at three o'clock yeah and i want to get a surf in yeah you know yeah how long are we going to like my first question is how when can we start? Not yeah. when do we finish? Yeah, that's it. You know, that's so. It. So I think that that's you know, and and my work ethic is still the same. I'm like, and it's not even an ethic that I've thought about. It's just, just love it. You just, love, you just love, it. love, love. And I remember, you know, I talked about those universal principles. One of the things that really stuck with me was. If you don't know what you love to do, I mean, everybody says you should do what you love to do, you know. Yeah, well, okay, that's that's fine, but what is that? Yeah. What is that? You know, like people might love to play guitar, but they may just think it's not exactly what I want to do. Maybe, you know, I think of Ray Beadle, who's an amazing guitar player. Yeah. I mean, he just loves driving his truck. Yeah. 
He doesn't want to go through all the other stuff. Right. He loves to play, but it, I, I love the truck, man. I, I'm in my space. I love it. And I get that. But like, what is it about loving what you do? And the one saying that stuck with me was, if you don't know what it is you love to do, love what you're doing until what you love to do comes to you. That's it. And I've seen that work in every situation that I do. If, you know, if, if I take on something, it doesn't matter how shitty the gig is. Learn the gig because I've done gigs where I haven't learned the stuff and I've walked away in pain. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not worth, let me tell you, it's not worth the drive home. Yeah, gotcha. So, so I get into it now. It doesn't matter who I play with and I play with everybody. I'll learn the songs and write the charts out better than anybody else. Yep. You know, just so I have a good time. Yeah. I do it for me, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, that's good. And maybe that's selfish, but I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's about the the love I have for it, you know. Yeah. Or, and even if I don't have the love for it, I want to um, uh, gain love for it. Yeah. Because it's because it, music is such a such an important thing for the spirit for the soul. I, I, I see a lot of people contact me. A lot of older guys contact me saying, you know, I used to play guitar and I've I, I don't do it anymore. Got married and had the kids. The guitars under the bed. And I, first thing I ask him, where is the guitar? Oh, it's in the cupboard. I say, go. And if they come to a gig, I say to them, and I say to the wife too, make sure when he gets home that he gets the guitar out of the case and leaves it out in the lounge room. Mm. And they kind of look at me like, yeah, that's what I should do. Put some new strings on. I said, mate, even if you walk past it and you go fling, you're connecting with it, yeah. you know, because you the love that you had when you first started playing music is still there. It doesn't go away. That's why you're here watching me play because you love what I'm doing. And you're probably thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Well, get into it. Get <laughs> into it. You know, it doesn't matter. It's it's the, the love and the joy that you get from playing music is always there. And you can try and stop doing it. I see people, um, you know, people put some, very personal, stupid things on Facebook. I'm going to quit music for now. I'm going to quit it. You know, I'm going to take a sabbatical. It's like, I've seen people do it. And they last for four years maximum. Then they're back into it. It's like, I can't <laughs> yeah. believe it. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. starving. I've got to get a guitar. It's like, yeah. you know, don't do it. Just get into it. Just get into it. Don't worry about being good or bad. Find the joy in the, in the, in the, the reason why you started playing. It's not about being the best. It's not. We're never going to be the best. There's always going to be somebody better or worse than you. Yeah. And you know what? As I said to you in the beginning, is I'm not trying to be best or better. I'm trying to find me. Yeah. Who am I? Like, for example, Jeff Beck has found Jeff Beck. You know, and I don't think I'm going to find it to the clarity he has found it. Right. But it doesn't matter. I'm going for it. That's it. And that, that's my joy and I, I'm going to love this until the, what I love to do comes to me. I mean, I'm already in it, you know, I'm already in love with it. So, yeah, yeah. And that goes with everything. That goes with relationship. That goes with every event in my life. If you go in half-assed, you know, every, the, the universe functions perfectly. If, you know, what you put out is it's going to come back to you exactly the way that you put it out. Exactly. It's like a fucking huge mirror. You know, again, I'm starting to sound like Dr. Phil, but I'm not, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, that's what, I, you know what I'm saying I by do. that. It's, yeah, totally. it, it is, it is a huge mirror, whatever you put, everything functions perfectly. But we kind of think, oh, why did this happen to me? Or why did that, being robbed three times was an amazing thing for me. I think yes. it was the, one of the best times of my life because all I was doing was making money, 
sitting at home buying great stereo equipment so I could get stoned and watch um, great videos, you know, buy them. I'd buy the videos and sit yeah. there and watch them, and, you know, <laughs> or whatever, and then go and do sessions all day. And I, I thought life's got to change somehow. Mm. And it made me change, right? you know. So, so it was a more than, and I moved into this apartment. My life completely changed, and it's been uh, uh, it's an amazing world, you know. Now, I'm not a victim. You can't be a victim of stuff, you know. I'm getting I'm getting all spiritual. It's all good. I'm not I'm not a hippie, man. I'm truly not. But but it is. You can't be a victim of anything. Welcome to episode one of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor P. Uh, I so I so Doctor P. I so Doctor P. I'm his assistant, Stevie. <laughs> Yeah. Jo, jo, Joanne from Earlwood <laughs> has written in today to say, my puppy doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> well, Joanne. Buy a cat. Buy a cat. <laughs> oh, oh, classic. Um, so, you know, you've always formed your own path and found your own groove. Has there ever been a situation where someone or an organisation or a band has tried to mould you into something else? Well, that's a good question. Yes. Right. And I can't really put, put it down to one thing. Yep. But I don't last long. Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't last long. No, it's, it's, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at being anybody else or anything. anything. Like even when I do my Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Pink Floyd I I learn that I get the guys to learn the songs, but I don't want to hear them played exactly. Yeah, I right. want to hear what you guys do with the song. Yep. There are millions of bands doing it better, but there's nobody doing it like me and you. Yep. You know? Yep. So that's what I want to hear. And it's a platform for us to play these amazing songs. Do what you can with them. Learn the solos and then forget them, man. Yep. Forget them, but 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 quote them. So I guess, yeah, there's been a couple of times. I've been in situations, and I'm, I'm, I can't pinpoint at the moment, Stevie, mm, but yep. um, yeah, where I've uh, they've wanted me to be something else, and I've gone, you, I can't. It's not me. Mm. Only twice in my career have I handed the guitar over in a session, saying to say, "You do it." Yeah, right. Right. Only yeah. twice, and right. they were they really took me. You know, like I'm I'm um, very accommodating. I give you whatever you want, and it's no dramas. Sure, even if you are. Uh, Complete fucking idiot with no idea. I'll still give you a valid. You, your ideas are valid. That's fine, but only twice, and they they've been pushed hard. Like I know that I'd gotten the take right the first time. We're spending an hour and a half on this now, and yeah. all you're doing is justifying your position in your company, right? To, so that you keep your job as a creative. Well, here you go. There's nothing that I'm doing now that can make this better. Here you do it. And as soon as I've done that, they've gone. Oh, oh no, sorry, no, I didn't mean it like that. No, well, well, what do you think? Well, the first take was the best one. Can we go back to the first take? Great. Okay, that's great. Are you happy with that? Oh, yeah, that's great. That's fine. I'm, I said, oh, I'm happy to change anything that you like in that, but that's the best take. No, mate, no, you're, you're on it. You know, they backpedal incredibly fast. Yeah. So, so, no, I'm not very good at when people try and put me in a situation, although I'm, uh, I am very adaptable in, in any situation, in a band room or in a, a situation I like to be um, malleable. I, I bite my tongue a lot because I'm, you know, I'm, I, 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 I don't like inadequacy. I don't like people that I know that can do stuff really well that don't put the energy in because mm-hmm. I am like that myself. And I've been caught out a couple of times where I haven't put the energy in 
and I've walked away going, you're an idiot. Why did you bother? Oh God, it's the end of your career. You know, you're out. And so I kind of put that back onto other, if other people roll up and they don't learn their stuff. Recently I was in a rehearsal room where the drummer just didn't learn the songs. Yeah. Great drummer too. Amazing drummer. Mm. And I just went, oh man, why, why, why would you not learn the songs with everybody else here has? Yeah, right. You know, what What didn't you get about the brief? Is there somebody in the band that you don't um, respect enough to learn the songs? You know all that? That's 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 because we're, we're, you know, I don't hate the guy or anything or feel anything bad about him. I feel sorry for him more than anything because, you know, and even on the gig, we did the gigs and, and I'm calling endings that I shouldn't have to call. And yeah. It takes me away from what I'm doing, you know, and takes everybody else away from it because it's loose. Yeah. Let's let's do it. If we're going to do a gig, let's really do a proper gig. Let's get into it and enjoy it, you know, yeah. not, yeah. oh, God, he's done. What am I going to do with the ending? Is he going to remember? Oh, you forgot the accents in that part. Oh, you forgot. Oh, no, that's wrong. God, <laughs> you know, that's not music. Yeah. That's not fun. Yeah. And it's not hard. Music isn't hard. Being in the music industry isn't hard. Roll up on time, look respectable, learn the songs and have a great time. Ask when do we start, not when do you finish, you know. I really don't think it's a hard industry. I think it's really easy if, you've got, if you have that, that attitude. Yeah. I mean, the, you, you're going to bat up against people, yeah, but that's in life. Everybody does that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, I wish I was a guru that could, could handle every situation, but I'm not. I'm just, you know, I think it, shit's like, you know. It's it's interesting, you know how how I've um, I'm we said to, I said to you today I said I'm I'm trying to be more authentic, yep. you know yep. trying to be a little little bit more authentic, and so it's not about I mean at sixty years old it's not about starting a career or or trying to maintain a, um, a persona within the industry. It's like I don't, I don't care about that, and I never really well I, yes I did. I did care about that, but it's it's unimportant now. It's, yep. Now it's about just let's make music, let's do whatever we can, and enjoy ourselves and make it really good. You know, find bands and people to play with that you can enjoy, not only their playing but their company. You know, and start new things all the time. I'm always starting new things. When this COVID thing's over, I'll start something else. Yeah, you know, I'm always thinking about starting something. And um, but I mean this this whole I mean you might have to change the name of it but the whole ISO thing might continue yeah in, well, in, this in, is, in some other way you're right and this is really good I mean I mean, why, I why, I mean why why wouldn't you when you're getting right. when you're getting the you're getting the um the interact uh, the what's the word I'm looking for reaction the reaction and and yeah. people are checking it out I mean yeah. people are still going to be home on a you know that's right. Oh look! I'll and, keep and doing pull up, them and pull up their Facebook and want to watch something. That's right. And, and, and they're, watching, you know, they're watching your thing because it's quality, you know. And it's just... that's right. <laughs> and I've I've already thought about that. That that yeah. now I can take you know four or five of those singers along to a venue, and do those songs yeah, under oh, the yeah, banner right. of ISO duos, you know. Oh wow! And yeah, so right. there's there's a lot of scope for that sort of thing. I mean, it's again, it's like I don't I don't start with that idea and then work towards it. I just start with stuff and then that's, an idea comes and then another idea will come and another idea will come. That's it. You know? And I think that's the improvisation, improvisor in me, you know. Gotcha. And, yeah. and I deal with the moment and then what the next moment creates. 
Yeah. You know? Mm. I love it. That's really I love cool. it. Yeah. Um, before I get to the that Spotify song that we talked about. Yes. Have you had any any regrets? Is that uh, mo- no. is that monkey is that monkey boy? No, that's Ziggy the monster dog. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy's the talker. Yeah, right. Awesome. Uh, I've got three cats. I've got a 21-year-old girl who's the most beautiful wow, thing. Oh, 21. She's 21 and she's still on fire. She's amazing. Miss Pia, she's the most beautiful, my, my, my dream girl she is. Yep. But um, uh, have I got any regrets? No, I don't, I don't have any regrets. Cool. Regrets. I, I, I think it might have been, you know, gigs that I've done where I thought I should have Perform better, or I should have. You no, know. I don't. I don't. I don't mean like that. I mean we've all got those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they're character building. You know, <clears throat> I did do cats one day. Some Gary Vickery <laughs> contacted me and he said, "Can you do? Um, would you be up for reading the charts for cats on a Saturday afternoon and a Saturday night, a matinee and afternoon?" And I went, "Fuck!" And he said, "I've only got a couple. You've only got a couple of days to learn." I went, "Yeah, I'll do it." And I studied and studied and studied. But if you know anything about cats, there's like the charts are like a full page of 13.8 and then in the middle of, uh, on the second last quarter of the third last bar on the second line, there's donk. <laughs> and if you miss that, you're out. You're out, you know? yeah, right. And so many things I miss. And the irony of this all is that I did the first ep- first matinee for him and I freaked out. The the the, the conductor came up to me and said, you're you missed a whole bunch of things. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry, man. I'm not, I only had this for a couple of days and I've worked hard, but I'm not used to this. <laughs> and he said, all right, we'll come back. We'll have a break and come back half an hour and I'll sit with you and go through the business. I said, thank, thank you so much. I went to my mate's place and went, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back for the second show. I did, but I knew that that's something that I never wanted to do again. Yeah, right. Okay. It's not me. I can't do it. I, 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 I'm not cut out for that. And Gary Vickery, who, who does that sort of stuff, is amazing at it. Right. Like, no way I could do what he does. Right. The irony of it all is the, 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 um, the conductor ended up using me as a guitar player for all the albums that he used to produce, like Julie Anthony, Marsha Hines, all those, um, what's the all the, the classical singers and et cetera, because he was in that world. Right. He used to use me for all those albums because he knew. And he'd say to me at the beginning of the session, look, the charts, I've kept them as simple as I can for you, but there's a couple that you might have to lo- learn the lines. I go, no worries, I'll learn them. Right. You know, and right. and he would, he'd love it because I performed and I played like a musician, not like a reader. And you gave it a shot. You tried. Yeah. And you, yeah, you yeah. 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 Yep. And he'd book me for everything from then on. It was really, really good. But yeah, that, that was a scary time, mate. So that was a regret that I didn't, you know, probably learn it as much as I possibly could. But again, it was my capacity that was the the problem, not not me. My my brain won't get won't retain all that sort of stuff. Right. You know, and and being a session player, you learn a song in a day and it's gone, and you learn another one, it's gone. Gotcha. Right. Yep. And so my brain doesn't retain stuff that well. I mean, it's not not because I'm stupid or I've done too many drugs, although it may probably it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's contributed to it, to it some some ways. But I like. You know, I like I like having millions. I like my my list of songs, my charts is millions lot wide. And gotcha. um, if you know, sometimes you don't play those songs for months or years. At least I've got a net to fall into. You know, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So no regrets. No. Very cool. Now, the last couple of episodes of the podcast, I introduced a new segment, if you can call it that. Um, I've had a Gig Life podcast 
uh, Spotify um, guest playlist for, right. for, for ages, like almost probably 12 months now. And what it is, it's made up of songs that um, my guests have either played on or they're their songs. Um, I, I Recently I've wanted to add to that. So the way we're doing that is I'm going to ask you, I asked you this today because it yeah. was something you need to think about because I wasn't yeah. going to put you on the spot. Yeah. One song, one song that's had the most influence on you and um, what we'll do is we'll you can introduce that song, talk about it a little bit um, and I'll um, <clears throat> I'll play the song sort of underneath you talking about it and I'll, I'll put that song in the playlist and that playlist, the link for that is in the show notes. So right. Right. I'll, t- I'll put it over to you, Pete, and you can introduce the song. All right. Well, this is, um, it's Yes, and the album is called Relayer, and it's the, the song is called Gates of Delirium, and it's a whole side of the of the album. You know, of course, I, was, I learned them off vinyl, and I've never learned any, well, I've learned little bits of this this track, but it's a heavy track, man, and it's something that you could listen to and go, well, it's a piece of shit, but the more you listen to it, the more there is in it. And for me, it is, if I had a Desert Island album, it would be this one. If I had Desert Island guitar, it would be the Ibanez Gem. And if I had a Desert Island album, it would be this one. Right. Steve Howe in those days, he was my favourite guitar player because I was looking at um, and seeing people like Tommy Emmanuel and Jim Kelly who were not just great musicians but incredible versatile musicians, Right. And Steve Howe was a, a finger picker, like a Chad Atkins style player, and a jazz player, and a Dobro player, and an electric player. And, you know, he could play rockabilly and he could play rock music. And I just loved what he played. He was a, a versatile guitar player, and I loved everything that he did. He won Best Guitar Player five years in a row in Guitar Player magazine. Right. And a lot of people don't know about him. A lot of people just think he's this. Yeah, um, rock, what do they call it? Um, prog rock player that's not very good, but he was amazing. Like, you, you never meet your heroes either, Steve. Yeah, because I, I met him and it was very disappointing. <laughs> it was really I think, disappointing. I think you told you told the story on, uh, Matt's yeah, that's podcast. right. Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. but and he wasn't, but, very, he um, wasn't very nice to you at all. No, nah, just well, he's just, you know, he just wasn't nonchalant. Just, yeah, right. So, never meet your heroes, it's, it's a way to ruin it. <laughs> But um, now this this track and this whole album, it's harmonically, rhythmically pungent because they weren't just doing simple four four stuff, and they were they would rehearse up this stuff and play it live. Oh, right. Unbelievably, like the the complexities of this stuff, they would play it live. So um, I love this album, and it it, it changed my life in the fact that I was starting to get into Yes as a band and my brother was bringing home, you know, Close to the Edge and all those sort of things. I really liked those albums. The first Yes album was fantastic. But this one I thought, well, there's got I really like the old stuff. I should go and buy this album called Relayer and I bought it. And those days I could only afford secondhand from Ashwoods in Pitt Street. And I'd get it and I'd play it and I'd go, nah, shit. And then I'd send it, uh, I'd go in and swap it for another record. And I did it three times, and then I got it. Like almost overnight, I listened to it and I went, holy shit, because I remembered bits. Yeah. You know how you learn an album in your head? Yeah. yeah. 
And so I got into it. And then every time I listen to it now, I still learn something more from it. Right. So, and the melodies are beautiful and it's complex and simple in its delivery. And uh, yeah, I love everything about it. And that particular song, The Gates of Delirium, is actually 21 minutes long. 21 minutes, mate. That's yep. it. So um, The other side of the album has only got two songs on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of nine-minute songs and a three-minute yep. three song and a four-minute song. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, prob- that's probably the, the uh, remastered version, but yeah, the, the yeah. original album only has three songs on it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. but the journeys, you know, it's yeah. a complete journey. Remember, I mean, this is the whole thing. Those days are completely gone. People don't listen to albums in that form anymore. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's hard to expect people to do that because they don't have the time. But in those days, we were kids. We'd get the album and listen to it and read the liner notes, and yep. it was a whole journey, yep. you know. Yep. Um, and that's what I tried to do with Poindexter. Big mistake. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a it was a concept album. Point X and Genius Sex Act was. Yeah, a yeah. Album. I, I've I've heard it, but so and what? You just didn't get the well. The response no, of- you know what's really interesting is I get people come up to me and say, "I got that album, and it was. I think it's the most amazing piece of work." Right. It's great. Well, you're about the only other person that has. You know, I always say that because <laughs> because it for me it's it's a you know I struggled with a lot of things like I didn't have a real drummer on there. I had to kind of do my own programming and stuff, okay. and I used loops and things. But it was more about the guitar and the songs and the concept and the story. Yeah. And it was it was due to the fact that I had a relationship bust up, and I, I wanted to figure out what love was all about. Okay. Right, so if it's, it's without being soppy, it's definitely not a soppy album at all. It's complex and fun, you know, funny. It's got Zappa, it's got, yes, it's got Genesis, it's got, you know, Toto, it's got Deep Purple, it's, it's got all those things in it. But um, it was a, a labour of love, that album. But anyway, yes, this, Genesis, this Yes album is incredible. And I came from the school of, you know, songs like Carpenters right up through... Um, uh, Led Zeppelin classic rock yep. and then into Yes and things like that and, right. and then into Fusion. Yeah. So by the time I was in my 17 or 18, I was listening to Miles Davis and stuff. But but right. but I didn't stay anywhere. Yeah. I just kept moving. So I kept moving through through that and I'm back at pop and rock music. Yeah. You know, I love it all. Fusion frustrates me. You know, f- Fusion, I listen to some things and I go, why'd you put the odd timing? What, what, are you trying to be clever? <laughs> Oh, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I think of the people, that punters that come along to my gigs and I go, would they listen to it? No way. It's almost better to watch now, isn't yes. it? Yes. Like yeah, to it watch is. it it's... being performed and, you know, as a drummer. It is. Watching it. Yeah. It's clever. Yeah, it's clever. Yeah. It's clever. Yep. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't grab my ears as musically anymore. You know? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Pete Northcote, thanks so much for spending this time with me tonight, man. I'm glad we – did the did the one on one and it's yeah it's, mate it's been me really too cool. and thank I'll, you I'm, I hope I haven't spoken too much and you know the more the long. more you speak the less I have to so <laughs> and that's good is and it? that's well, that's what it's all that's what's all about you know yeah great yeah. mate well look thank you for having me and um you know I really appreciate what you're doing too because it's really great for musicians it gives them a, a a chance to kind of get out of their shell and talk about what they're up up to and things, especially this time, you know? Yeah, thanks. We've we got to reinvent ourselves. So thank you, mate, for doing that. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. And, uh, yeah, keep up the ISO stuff and, and I'm looking forward to um, producing the self-help 
I want <laughs> that. I want that role. I want the yeah. Producer, okay, you're in producer's yeah. role. It was actually well, my. The... It was actually my idea. So, <laughs> ex- executive producer will be fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got the cameras. I've got the cameras. You know. So, <laughs> we'll do it. Awesome. All right, Pete. Hope, look, look. Hey, listen. Yeah. Um, Stevie. Yeah. While you're here. Yeah. Just have a look under your chair. It's a new car. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, awesome, awesome, Pete. Thanks so much, Good on man. You, mate. All the best with the rest of the ISO stuff too, man. I'll be, All right. I'll, I'll well, be watching. Um, we'll see you soon. Thank yep. you so much. Sweet as.